Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Two Half Squads, the only podcast that is dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world, Advanced Squad Leader. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. And I'm Dave. Hi, Dave. And we have a guest with us today in the studio in our broadcast foxhole. Where we want to say hello to Rich Spilkey. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to get the plus two protection of the foxhole. <laughs> we're very glad to have you here, Rich. Welcome. And we're not sure why you're here, but we'll find out about that uh, as the show goes on. But uh, how you doing, Dave? We, we haven't really talked really since the last show. That's um, episode 13. I'm getting over that laryngitis and bronchitis, so I will see how long my voice lasts tonight. You had it bad. Would you like a it's little whiskey? It's been a week. I tell you, try teaching uh, junior high. Went in work Monday and Wednesday and forget it. You are a dedicated man. You are a committed man. Well, I had to. Would you like a little whiskey? Uh, no, thanks. Okay. Mind if I have some? Uh, Just... Go ahead. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, we haven't talked since episode 13. That was kind of a kick. Did you enjoy that one, Rich? I like all the podcasts I've listened to, just about everyone. Oh, that's why we have you on the show. <laughs> I'm one of your fans. <laughs> ah, good. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to make. I hope people enjoyed that one. This one, we're not going to have any comedy. Is that right? Nothing. No comedy at all? None. All right. That's my New Year's resolution. That's right. Did you make any? Happy New Year, everybody. Did you make any New Year's resolutions, Dave? No. I've made one. Which it was? Uh, I've made a couple. First of all, I'm going to shave every day. I can see that's working well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, starting next month, maybe. Uh, I'm going to play more Squad Leader. All right. So that's a good one. And I may even... I, I, I Actually, I have vowed to win a game of Squad Leader. You did. Oh, did I win one last yes. year? Oh, okay. Well, it was a good year after all. Maybe winning two should be your goal. And in the PAASL club, we have uh, quite a few new rookies who need a uh, spanking. They need a spanking? Yes, so I think you're just the man, Jeff. Oh, This is oh, your chance oh, to oh. move from 20%. Why, because because um, you know victory. I enjoy spanking other men? That's right. <laughs> oh, you mean... Thank you, sir. May I have another... All right, well, I'll remember that night. That's really an incentive for me to show up at the group. Um, well, I'm going to be spanking men. Mr. Spilkey came to our club. Yes, he did. This, that's, this week, that's a long we hope drive he comes back. Um, and I noticed about the club now, the higher-end players have really got up there. We have Jack Murphy coming. Uh, always had Bob Holmstrom, a quality player. I think Joe and I are pretty good. And Rich is very good. Yeah. And there's now a real high level of competition if you want to play a challenging game. And on the other hand, though, we have a lot of new players. So the trick will be how to match people up every every month. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want Rich to come out every week. He's playing a, a starter kit game with somebody. Well, yeah, yeah, but most of the good players, I'll just count myself among them, if you want to count me as one of those. I but, do. But, uh, you know, we want to help grow the hobby, just like you're trying to help grow the hobby. And we want to teach. We want to show. So I think we'd be open to that. You know, and Jack had said the same thing. I emailed him and said, hope you didn't mind teaching a guy the you know full ASL rules. And he didn't mind at all. So it, it was very inspiring. But a lot, of, a lot of the young bloods, and I spoke to another player who said, you know, how long am I supposed to give advice to the guy about tactics and stuff? Because, you know. And I said, at this point, I think after five, six games, you don't. We need to answer any questions about rules. We need to point out any rules as we're going. But as far as... They want to move as a stack still, and it's their fifth and sixth game. And you know we've previously said it's not smart. At this point, you just let them go, and and then they learn by by playing. So yeah, now's your time, Jeff. That's <laughs> now's my time to move in. Yep, move up that little ranking that no one really cares about. And, and that's how we've all learned. You know, the real intricacies of the rules is by our 
experience with other players who perhaps knew a tactic that we didn't know, and we were uh, really surprised, and but also impressed when they used it against us. So, yeah, yeah and I'm still remembering your uh, defense and the one we posted on the podcast. Uh, just that real tight on that hill, and this, the way everything did support each other. You know, I was kind of thinking, you know, I have to look for a scenario when I can try that kind of thing, and I'm sure it has its dangers, but. Um, you know, I was impressed to see that and learn from that. So, yeah. So, great. And here we are in episode 14. We kind of got ahead of ourselves. Episode 14, it is, isn't it? It is January 11th, 2009. 2009. We made it. Made it through another year. And uh, as we usually do, we're going to start with some mail. Do you have some mail? Yes. Can you hear it? Is that what that is? You. You knocked a tree down to print out mail? I, Where, I did. What happened to the paperless office? I told you last time. That's the only way I remember to read the ones oh, okay. and not be fiddling around trying to click and find. which. Where was that letter? Hi, Dave and Jeff. My name is Vlad. I'm from the Philippines. I thought Vlad's came from, like, Transylvania. Yeah, that's not a very it's not a very Filipino-sounding name, but I don't... I don't as, I've never been there, so... As soon as I heard you mention my country in the latest episode... And the mention of ASL Mayhem in Manila in the extra episode, I think. I just had to reply. So if ever you find yourselves here, rest assured you can find ASL players in this part of the world. I've been listening to your podcast since episode one. I would say you guys keep getting better and better. I enjoy it. Keep up the work. As for my ASL background, I'm fairly new to ASL as well as the wargaming hobby in general. I've only started in late 2007. A friend of mine, an American expat living here in the Philippines, taught me ASLSK with scenario S1 retaking Viraville. I guess it took a while before I grew to like it. I've played a couple ASL scenarios with my gaming group and so far have only won one out of five, I think. And you can read about our gaming group and some of my ASL, AAR, my bog below, blog, bog, his my bog. bog, he has a bog in his basement, it flooded. Yeah. <laughs> In his blog below, it's probably in the previous month's blog's posts, it is HTTP. Oh, no. Are we going to do this again? Dot, dot. <laughs> it's a colon. It's slash, not a dot, dot. Phil Boardgamer, one word, Phil, Phil P-H-I-L, Boardgamer, dot blogspot.com. And I saw it, and it looks great. Oh, that's cool. And he linked us, too. Oh, that's nice. So thanks anyway, Vlad. Welcome to well, the next, hobby. Next time we're in the Philippines... Like if we travel with our wives to the Philippines, just say, honey, are you going to go shopping today? Because there's an ASL group here. Yep. We can go find them. So uh, what else do you have? Do you have more? Um, I do. Uh, this one from Patrick. Uh, there's a really good tutorials. It's another. Oh, yes. It's another um, URL. Well, www. BoardGameGeek.com, the ASL tutorial, part one. And I went in and read some of it. Did you look at that Yes, one? I did. Yeah. It's a very good tutorial. And there's that, part five, who, it looks who like. Who is it that... Uh, that this is from that, Patrick. No, who does the tutorial? Oh, I've... Who created it? Forgotten. Okay. And I don't have it listed here. Maybe I'll look it up during the break. Explanation of route, rate of fire, and then parts one, two, and three, and four. And that was really good. So I thought we'd mention that. You know, it's Maybe amazing. Post a link. That it's Are you a, gonna link these things. Well, yeah, I always say I am, and then I always. <laughs> you know, I, the thing is that the the service that we use for the podcast, this Podbean, is not the easiest thing to to post on. Um, doesn't give you a lot of options. So I'm thinking about creating a blog to go along with the Two Half Squads podcast. Okay. Page. So 
Yeah, we'll see. If I can, because it would be a lot easier to post this stuff there. But yeah, that, that, that particular tutorial is very good. Uh, let's see, I've got one here. And if we're not reading your mail, it's we, we can't get to them all, but we do appreciate them all. So for, thanks, everybody, for writing and, and for your donations. We just like to pull a few out that are that are kind of interesting. We've got one from uh, Mike Curry, T. Mike Curry. I guess that's an initial. Uh, just writes, totally cool. I just found about just found out about your podcast. I guess the broadcast rules about alcohol consumption don't apply to podcasts. Or you could say it was theatrical consumption simulation. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could call it that. Are you theatrically consuming something tonight, Rich? Uh, that's exactly what I'm doing. That's <laughs> yep. Well, that's very lifelike. What is that you have? It is a, let's see, I should probably read it. It is a Hofbrau Bach. Trader Joe's? Indeed. At least it's simulated to be Trader Joe's. Does it taste like beer? I've never had that one before. It's, it tastes all right. Oh, good. I just bought those tonight. I like it. Yeah. Seriously, though, great show. I was pleasantly surprised to find out about it. Uh, so he's going to go back and listen to all the episodes. Great. Thank you. And we got one from Germany also. Um, I don't see the... Oh, da. Marcus. Marcus Schenk. Or is it Ja? It looks like. Da. That's Ja. Yeah. 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 So while searching the net for things about ASL, I found your podcast. It's wonderful to listen to. A little bit like sitting at a club meeting, hearing what others think about ASL. Very nice and funny to listen to. Oh, that's nice. I've played other board games uh, since 1990, but uh, not very much. Does some miniatures. I don't know why I'm even reading this one, other than we just appreciate it. Oh, he, he was saying that he got into Squad Leader because somebody gave him a box full of counters, like thousands of counters, and, and then some unpunched stuff, and... Uh, so he's going through all that, and boy, that must be fun. Sorting it. Mm-hmm. Which, Rich, one, which one of you guys doesn't keep the boxes from the episodes I've listened to in the past? Jeff. Uh, that's, uh, I don't. I don't have room here in my little... Look at all so this room there's around There's no room here. in here. Yeah, I don't keep the boxes anymore. There are some players who do just have their counters all in a big, giant plastic baggie that... Uh, just fish through them. I've heard about that. And there's some actually one particular player who's actually very good who carries his counters around that way. It's in one to, big plastic yes, bag? Yes, it's easy to clean up. You just sweep them away and dump them in the bag. Yep. 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 If we don't say names, I thought... I don't know no last are. names allowed. I got it. On yep. that guy? He's On an, anyone. He's what an is excellent his, player. What's his initial, last initial? Uh, BB. Oh, okay, got it. He's an excellent player. All right. I hope to meet him someday. Um... I have a letter here from Rick. Howdy, Jeff and Dave. I've enjoyed your podcast. It's entertaining. And while I'm clipping counters here in the North Cold Land, um, I noticed something cor to correct in episode 13. And again, folks, we don't promise to have everything correct when we talk about the game. I believe you said a stopped vehicle cannot expend movement points at the start of its movement phase until it has spent a movement point to start. Actually, a stopped vehicle can delay for any number of available movement points before it expends a start movement point. D2.17, the last line says, this can be very useful. A vehicle stopped behind a building could delay in place, then start with just enough movement points left to move out into the street and stop, thereby only spending two of its movement points in the street. Remember, movement points are not used in movement, are considered to be used in the last hex the vehicle entered. So that hip enemy anti-tank gun will have to pay the case J1, Dyro modifier. Mm -hmm. Quiz show, what is that, Rich? 
Well, I think I actually have that on one of my tables coming up. That we'll oh, talk that we'll about. be talking I'll bet about you do. that. Okay, and it will only have two shots if at you if you keep if it keeps rate of fire. And a vehicle could stay in place and try for a smoke dispenser, smoke discharger, without moving at all, or move after firing. Is it a dispenser or a discharger? I don't want to put you on the spot, Dave. But <laughs> we did you already went through this? It was a smoke. Wait, they're all in general called smoke dispensers. Is that right, Rich? I think so, but I'd have to look at it myself. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, although he's saying a smoke discharger. Maybe they're all smoke dischargers. Oh, I, know, well. I know what they are when I look at the back of the counter. Stuff that shoots smoke on tanks. And so, uh, yeah, and now this is some great strategic advice when you're playing tanks. And, and some people have said our show they think is more for beginners. I don't really believe that's true. I think nuggets like this come out, that's way advanced. You're not going to take some starter kit guy and talk about doing these two things yeah you know using like up all delay. your delay and yeah. then firing your smoke before you're moving out from somewhere and no that's a more advanced tactic yeah that's what i think right i mean let's just talk about moving and shooting the tanks before right. we get into all this advanced stuff so and one more last one i think unless you have another one you know do you think should we put a disclaimer at the beginning of every show saying that the content of the show might be totally completely wrong <laughs> yeah, I and we, so. we accept no responsibility <laughs> if you totally screw up if you make a bet with somebody tournament. and lose the bet and lose your home and yeah. a squad leader bet you know what would be funny is if we did a show like a tutorial show and teach all the wrong rules <laughs> and then encourage people to go to a tournament i learned all, everything i know from the two half wits this is from uh hank hill i had a couple ideas for your show um i look forward to every episode I would like to hear an episode about ASL for those who are self-taught. Aren't all of them for people who are self-taught? All of our shows? Yeah. Well, maybe he's, he wants some something special for, like, how to teach yourself? Maybe. Oh, well, maybe, finding people in my area is tough. I had to teach myself. I've met two others who have also done the same thing. It's a much steeper hill to climb without the benefit of someone knowing the rules. Perhaps you could interview some people who've been, who have self-taught and what they did to learn the game. Oh, okay. So if well, you're... I think a couple things. If I can comment on that, mm-hmm. first of oh, all, yes. the podcasts that, that are uh, not not the main ones that you guys record together, but the scenario replays. Mm-hmm. You know, I know we and the one that you and I recorded, Dave. We went way out of our way to talk about the hexes and the locations. And if you set up your board at home and set it up along, I think it was very conducive to that. To be a way to learn. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and I think he's looking for also any suggestions. So, listeners, if, if you've taught yourself and there's a trick you've learned. Go ahead and mail it to us at, here at the Two Half Squads, and we'll we'll get it out to uh, Hank. Like if you have a split personality and you found that to be particularly <laughs> useful. I, I used to um, play both sides, and I'd jump up and run to the other side of the table yeah. and then play the Germans and talk in a German accent. Yeah, and then I would play the Russians. I'd run back to the other side of the table and say, da. Oh, that's a great, great idea. Yeah. So. That's a good idea. <laughs> Unless I confuse my ya's and da's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have what I've done, and this may not be as good, but I have my masculine side play on one side, and then my feminine side <laughs> plays the other side. Who wins? It's a different kind of a game. Who wins those usually? Well, I always the feminine side always wins. Are you kidding me? Yeah, of course. <laughs> the guy didn't even need to ask that question. Yeah, did you? that's right. <laughs> oh, I'm still sick. I'm gonna have phlegm coming out if I laugh too hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. oh yeah, oh, that's bad. That doesn't sound good. It's okay, everyone. I'm all right. Okay. Oh, my, my second idea is a video podcast. I don't mean videotaping your podcast. <laughs> would be really boring. <laughs> no, I added that. But add screenshots from Vassal 
So on your special episodes, there'll be a diagram to look at. It might be helpful when you're going to cover key concepts. Just a couple of thoughts. I know I just don't want more work to do. I mean, the, yeah. the visual thing is a fantastic idea. And I think that's why I kept the letter where the guy mentioned the online tutorials because you can go there and look yeah. at it so I right, don't right. have to do it. We have a, uh, it, there's it a, like work. a new listener uh, and a new player who has a terrific, what, what is his, triple point blank fire? You know his blog, Dave? Yes, uh, he's a triple point, yeah. Yeah, uh, great blog, lots of detail, uh, he's... Uh, lots of pictures. He really puts a lot of work into it, and just I admire it because so, I don't think I could have the time we, to we'd do it. Probably say go ahead and go to those sites for that kind of information. Yeah. When we do the, our game replay things, taking pictures and posting, is it hard to post the photos? It's easy to take the pictures. It's not hard to post, but we need a blog to do it. Can't do it on the Podbean. Oh, okay. Website. So I got to set it up. It won't let you post a picture. It's just not. It's, it's really not hard. very it's not easy to do. It's really easy to just post your podcast and put in a little thing about it. I know some guys are really excellent at using that Vassal and yeah. and putting the pieces on there. Have you ever played the Vassal? No, I never system? have. I know. I know a couple of guys that are just swear by it. Yeah. I myself have never really learned how to do it, and I need to do that one of these days. But I know a couple of guys that just swear by it. I know a lot of guys that whenever they play a scenario and they do a setup, like a defensive setup, they'll do it on Vassal, they'll save it, and then they'll print it, and they'll like you know bring it with them yes. oh, right, when they right. play the scenario. I've seen people do that. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've sometimes written mine down by hand. It would save me that step. I've set it up a couple of yeah. times, but my, my problem with Vassal so far, and I've never played a game in it, is that you have to scroll around a lot. You have to zoom in so that you can see the units that you're working with, but if you want to get a view of the whole board, you really you have to zoom out scroll around and i find it a little tired maybe that's, i just need a bigger screen anyway it's like we'll doing f- trying to find your backyard on google earth well exactly <laughs> that's a future sure future yeah. show perhaps just a suggestion that you might want to consider for the future is getting someone on that's an expert that's an expert you need yeah. some vassal pros yeah. vassal pros um if you live close by shoot us your name and we'll we'll see right. about getting you on and then my, my last letter michael decker uh, said his, he, we mentioned a friend that worked at argon he has a brother that works there um some nuclear physicist thing it's not worth bothering trying it's not worth bothering trying not to understand and not an asl fanatic but he'll send us an email about our podcast and he says suggest jay richardson would be a great interview for the show the man is brilliant do you know jay richardson oh jay richardson is the name of the guy that did that excellent asl tutorial oh what uh, a on the board game geek it's posted on board game geek that's okay so well maybe we should write that down as an idea for a future interview and yeah. Uh, he asks, are we going to Winter Offensive this year, Jeff? Are you going? Uh, winter n- Offensive? No. And Rich, are you going? Not to Winter Offensive, no. And Dave, are you going? Uh, no, I'm not. And why not? Who's going? I don't know. Is Keith going? Keith Dalton. Keith Dalton is going to have a blog. He's going to be blogging every day about it. And so can we link to that, too? Yeah, we'll link to that. We'll try to, we'll try to get the link on. Oh, isn't that coming Keith out? Dalton. That's coming out pretty soon, the Winter this Offensive. This weekend? Yeah. I, I think oh, so, yeah. Oh, we're not going to make it in time. This show will air probably during Winter Offensive. Yeah. But Yeah, we have all well. these scheduling constraints. You know, this podcasting thing is very demanding. Because I was sick. That's, we're a week behind yeah. already. Yeah, we are. So thanks, everybody, for your mail. We'd like to hear it. Send more. All right, I thought I'd mention, Jeff, that I'm. we talked about doing T-shirts. Yeah, t-shirts. And I'm working on them. What are you opening there, Dave? Uh, Hofbrau Bach, the rich golden Bach beer, brewed and bottled by Trader Joe's Brewing Company, San Jose, California. I thought it was German beer they imported.
supported, but no. Um, we're going to try t-shirts, fans. So, Rich, what do you think? I think it's an excellent idea. It's a good idea. I don't know. I'll, I'll buy one. I know Jeff and I wanted to wear them when we go to tournaments or something. Yeah. Um, but I'm literally of ordering like 30, and then if they don't sell. So if anyone out there is thinking they want one. Yeah, if anybody would like, can shoot us would be an email? interested in a, yeah, two half squads t-shirt. At gmail.com. Do you want to describe it? It'll be a, or do you a, want a brownish, a nice military kind of brownish color. Good. Uh, with the orange logo on it, so it'll look very fall-like, a nice little fall look. You just imagine the crunching of the leaves as you walk along. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Will it look good wet? It'll be just the logo without the two half squad images on there because I decided I don't like the two half squads green sticking on there. They don't, Originally, yeah. Matthias sent us the logo, just the orange, and he has been working with me because I, I go online and they can't open the file, and then and then I talk to Matthias and he sends a bigger DPI one, and then I go back online to order these and it all falls apart for some reason. Yeah. It's complicated, and they're saying, "Well, this is this is like two something or other, or fuzzy now." Or, and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah." So finally, I got a local guy. I think I'm going to go with who'll do the silk screening. And then I went back to Matthias. Said, "Okay, now I need a black and white. I need the version without the orange background, so he can just make one screen of the black and white part, and then another screen for the square orange logo. And that's all it's going to have. And it'll just be the logo with the address on it. So if you're interested, listeners, please." Contest, contact us immediately through Gmail. Let me know if, if you're interested. So, I mean, if we hit 60 right away, I can order 60 and save yeah. money. If we them. could get a read about it'll be about uh, 15 people to are going to be 18 interested, bucks. we'll order a bunch. Yeah. yeah eight, 18 bucks? 15, maybe to 18. That's, well, it depends what. Well, let's say <clears throat> $30. $30 and Markdown, discounted. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think $18. Order today. They're and... great. That's a great price. <laughs> have you seen the price of t shirts? I don't know, but we have no idea how many listeners we have, let alone how many t shirts. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. So, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm looking forward to getting those. So speaking of fine quality products. Yeah, speaking of fine quality products, and uh, I want to talk about the C4 Countercutter, who continues to be a sponsor for the two half squads. And if anybody else out there would like to be a sponsor on our show, please let us know. Let us know. Send us something. Yeah, yeah. In the mail, in your scenario pack or whatever, and we'll try and get a review out on it. And this is great because Rich is going to see a C4 corner cutter. I call it the counter cutter, but it's a corner cutter. He's going to see it for the first time. So there you go. Nice little item there. And the uh, C4 corner cutter is a tool designed specifically for war gamers to end the tedious task of clipping counters one at a time. With the C4, you can cut up to 10 counters at once, depending on the thickness of the counters. So no more swiping your wife's nail clippers. You can prep most games in under an hour, and you can probably knock out a monster game in a single evening, though we do not guarantee that. So you line them up in this little device right here. and That's simple. Uh, That's it. And you could do, like you said, up to about 10? Yeah. You can turn out, uh, you can trim 20 to 30 counters every minute once you get the hang of it. Uh, all you're going to need is a hobby knife with a sharp blade. And this is available in red, green, and blue. And you could buy it on eBay uh, or directly from... Uh, Dave King, who is the guy that created this item, and as usual, we will have a link up for that on the show. And uh, any this will work for any game, of course, but it certainly makes it very handy for clipping your corners. Well, I've done all my I've done all my corner. I mean, it's really changed my life. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it shows you how dull my life is. <laughs> Well, it's got to be easier doing it the old-fashioned way. Oh, it's it's amazingly so much easier. And everyone 
every counter is exactly the same, which is which is great. So, friends, order your C4 corner cutter today. I hope they did a lot of business over the Christmas holiday because it makes a great gift. Any time of the year. Anytime. All right. Well, should we go to Mr. Spilkey? Yeah, Rich. And um, your reason for being here. Rich has given us his background of himself yeah. on the episode extra episode where we played a um, scenario. So if you'd like to hear that, we didn't thought we wouldn't repeat that, but it's on that episode. And we jump right into the charts that Rich has developed. Well, I'm glad to be here. As I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm uh, eager to share these uh these rules tables with your listeners and hopefully they'll find them to be helpful you know as I have and I uh, wrote these tables a number of years ago quite a number of years ago probably began making them I was looking back through my archives back when I uh, first started playing the game and I have some letters this is long before email existed I think the earliest one I have is dated in uh, the summer of 1990 and they were just regular postal letters that I was writing to Bob McNamara, who was the ASL, ASL rules expert writer at the time at Avalon Hill Game Company, where I was asking him questions, interpreting the rules, and so on and so forth. So a lot of that stuff I was looking at and preparing for our show, and you know, it all came kind of flooding back to me, even though that was, I guess, 18 years ago now or so. Yeah. So uh, I'm not going to you know bore people to death by going through every single combination and permutation of these things. I don't think people are interested in that. Well, these will be um, on the site there, so our intention is that you listeners can click them open. Yes. Download gonna, them. Yep. And click them open and look at them as we discuss them. Yes, and I will. I'll go through each one briefly, and then a couple of them I'll probably spend more time on others to elaborate perhaps some of the more interesting uh, details. But again, the real purpose of these things, I guess there's two purposes. One, and the primary purpose, is to use them during the games. I mean, I made them to be used while you're playing a scenario. We all know what it's like to flip through the rule book and try to find that obscure rule that we think we might have read or maybe we read it one way and our opponent read it read it differently. We all know what it's like when chapter D says this and chapter A says that about a similar topic. So I made these to allow people to use while they're playing to very quickly determine the situation without, you know, getting into arguments or, you know, disputes. Yeah, because uh, in looking up the rules, oftentimes you're not just, when you look up a rule, oftentimes there will be references to two or three other spots in the rules. So don't only do this under this case, and in that case look under chapter this and that, and you go all, and all the parenthetical phrases and stuff. That right, and there's there. exceptions all, all the time. All the exceptions, oh my gosh. So I, what I did was I tried to think of the most common situations that happen all the time, or that happen frequently. Yeah. Sure, there's a few obscure things that might happen once in a blue moon that may not be incorporated in the rules or in the tables. But I did the best I could to, you know, what I, you know, things that happen to me in games, I figured would happen to other people from mm-hmm. time to time. And I think we're also asking our listeners to uh, mail in also with corrections to the tables if, if they can find any. Yeah, that's right. If they find so, some ways that it could be conveyed better, or if they perhaps find an error, or perhaps a uh, situation that I might have taken into account that I didn't, I'll uh, provide my email address here, or I'll give it to you when you can post it on the website for yeah. people to email me, mm-hmm. and we can make uh, updated versions as we go. Okay. So that's the primary purpose. The secondary purpose is really basically to teach the rules to some of the newer players who may be unsure. You know, you mentioned you mentioned earlier, Dave, when you were talking about case J, and I struggled about with case J, which is the uh, the plus two 
for when you're moving or in motion, when you're shooting at something that's moving in motion or has moved or is in motion. And I yeah. struggled with that. <laughs> yeah, what is, okay, what is moving, what yeah. is motion, right. what is has moved? Or what yeah. about when you move and then you stop? Right. Is that moving or isn't it? Yeah, and then my buddy Wally used to teach me those ones because, again, he was so smart. I never would have learned this game, and your charts would have been a great help. By the way, my friend Wally has been found. A friend has just emailed me his Facebook photograph. So, Wally, I'm going to be contacting you and pointing out this podcast to you, you long-lost friend. You know where he is? Um, yeah, it says where he works and everything. Oh, and it wow. gets his email address. So I'm going to mail him tomorrow. You ever think maybe he doesn't want to talk to you he anymore? He probably doesn't because he just disappeared. <laughs> Quit talking to all of us. So there, Wally. Are you going to be harassing him, stalking him? But yeah, he was smart enough to learn it. I would definitely need these charts. And again, these charts I think are very advanced because, well, as you'll see, listeners, this is advanced stuff here. Advanced. For but, beginners and for advanced players. But advanced, but with the idea of creating simplicity out of really complicated paragraphs. I'm hoping that they create yeah. simplicity. I appreciate you yeah. saying that, Jeff, because that is the point. Yeah. Things happen in games. This gives you a quick way to look at it and say yes or no, or you know, this is what happens, without having to flip through all that you know, yeah. parenthetical information. So right off the bat, table one, pretty straightforward. Table now, one. I have a question. How many tables altogether have you created? Okay, there are uh, seven... Pardon me. There are eight tables in the first... Uh, what I'll call the official set, if you want to call it that. And those are tables that I made probably in the 90s, somewhere between 93 and perhaps 98, give or take. Mm -hmm. The next four tables, which would bring us uh, a total of 12, those I've been kind of creating on the side for the last couple years, and I just recently finalized those to give to you to post on your website here recently. And those I'm calling in their draft form. I think those still need to be perused by other folks who know the rules pretty well and give me their advice before I would call those official. So the first eight I'd call pretty well done. These next four perhaps are, uh, you know, 95% complete. Never before seen. Yeah, pretty exciting. Now, did you have to update these when uh, when version two of the rule book came out? That's a great question. I've been asked that a couple of times. No, I By didn't. me? Did you, have I asked you? <laughs> no, you haven't. I do have that short-term memory issue. <laughs> no, not by you, okay, by others. Well, and, and no, I haven't uh, updated them with respect to the new rules. However, I don't think, although I guess someone might correct me if I'm mistaken, I don't think, I, I, I describe very common situations in these rules that I don't think were changed mm. with the new versions of the rules. If I'm mistaken, I'd be glad to have someone point that out to me. Mm -hmm. But most of the stuff I try to document were not the obscure things. They were the things that are straightforward that happen frequently. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't think there were a lot of changes in the rules anyway. So I'll just briefly describe these tables if that's all right. Yeah. So table one, right off the bat, is right what you were talking about. Case J, but also case L, where you get that minus one or minus two modifier if the target is one or two hexes away from you. And what this point is... Point blank, yeah. Yeah, point blank. So and the, case J and case L, these are the, um, for those people that aren't familiar, this is from the full rule set. Yes. Not and it's not in this. Well, it might be in the yes, starter. Yes. Yeah. There are portions of this at least in the starter kit. Yeah. Um, but these are rules pertaining to uh, moving targets. Yeah. Generally, when one AFE is taking on another AFE and right. one of them is moving or the other one is or not. Yes. These are the situations I'm trying to describe. Okay. And and what gets confusing is when can when do you apply from whose point of view the attacker's point of view or the defender's point of view these various advantageous or disadvantageous modifiers. Yeah. 
And so right off the bat, the first situation, I just call them situations. And again, I, I encourage the listeners to download load these and look at them as we go. Situation one is the defender is stopped. Pretty typical situation. Yeah. The defender's sitting there. The attacker is approaching him in motion and is still in motion. And if the defender wishes to fire at him at that point, as the table indicates, no, he will not get the point-blank modifier even if he's adjacent or two hexes away because he's, because in he's motion. still in motion. Mm-hmm. And yes, the defender will have to apply the moving in motion uh, modifier. Mm-hmm. The attacker, if he were to choose to fire as bounding first fire, would not get either of those applied to him mm-hmm. because he wouldn't get point blank because he's moving. And the attacker would not apply the moving motion penalty to his shot because the defender is not moving. The defender is sitting there. Right. That's the plus two. Case right. J. right. So I'm not going to go through every one of these situations because, you know, that would be time prohibitive. Yeah. But that is the gist of this mm-hmm. particular chart. Mm-hmm. Well, but I do like the detail of it. Attacker moved but is now stopped. Right. Right. And then if the defender's moving and then the attacker's move but now stopping, just... Exactly. That's why situation two is so important because the defender stopped again, just like before, but now the attacker moved and now chose to stop. Well, you can see the answers to the yeses and the noes change. Mm -hmm. And so before you stop as the attacker, you might want to reconsider giving that advantage to the defender. Right. I can't wait to try this chart because I, I I sit there and I struggle with Case J quite a bit. And yeah, I, it's not that hard, but it's not that I mean, hard. He's got um, these later charts are really even more intricate. This would help so much. And there are uh, I have thought before, Dave, before I saw these, that I wanted to do a, a show or at least part of a show, like our second tank, our part two of our tanks show. Episode thirteen was part one, but in part two, I wanted to go over Case J with you in detail on the show. Now we don't have to. Okay, um, but there are other things certainly we have to get to yeah. for that. What else? All right, table two, again, uh, I'm only going to cover briefly. I'll let you know on the ones I think we should cover more thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Table two, again, is a situation where you have a half track. I hate this. Or sometimes oh, you got... Yeah. Uh, sometimes you got... Um, this is where I usually just a, uh, make up the rules as I go along. You know, a, a British a British carrier, <laughs> and sometimes you got an armor leader, or sometimes you have an infantry leader that's a passenger in the half track, or sometimes you have an infantry leader who's on foot, and perhaps he's with a squad on the ground... <laughs> But the half track is adjacent to him, or the half track is in the same hex. And it's a Tuesday. And oh, yeah. Etc. And the guy's walking with a limp. So basically, what this is, is is letting you see is okay, you know, like right in the upper left hand corner. You've got a vehicle, you know, a half track, let's say a machine gun. And uh, you've got, a, let's say, a, uh, a CE passenger leader that's, you know, riding in the half track. And if you look at, you know, comment C, item C, it says, he may direct the fire of the machine gun only if it's part of the same hex fire group, including passengers. So what that's telling you is if you have a leader in the half track with, say, a squad also in the half track, and he is directing the squad's firepower, if you combine the vehicle machine gun firepower with it, the leader can direct it and then apply his negative modifier. That's what it's telling you. I love this chart. So that's just one example. Isn't it great? It's simple and beautiful. Yeah, so it's just you know, letting you know who can direct what. You sent me these a little while ago, and this is really the first time I've had, uh, the first chance I've had to really, I, I kind of looked at them, but when you explain it, it just makes me think, oh my gosh, this is going to save so much time. I'm hoping so, because it's every situation that, at least in this case, yeah. it's every combination of leader 
Infantry on foot, infantry as passenger, and vehicle machine gun. I don't. Ha- I'm not going to be afraid to play the with half tracks. Half tracks, yeah. Or not just Excellent. you know just unload everybody quickly just to get the yeah. half track out of the way. Or so I, I don't use, have to look up rules. Yeah. <laughs> I use case. Uh, I use rule DK, which is Dave the Dave Kleinschmidt rule, which is. Uh, Everybody bail out. Just, just call it one yeah. way and we'll display it. Yeah, the way. other thing I should point out, if uh, the listeners haven't noticed themselves, is for each of these tables, I have a you know a title, which is pretty straightforward, but I have a rules section. All the different sections of the rules that I looked up and read that went into the creation of the table. And then I have the little section that you see at the top called the situation, where I try to describe you know what it is that's happening here right. that's being evaluated. Yeah. Excellent. So that's sort of the form that I've chosen to use. Like on number three. Okay, so number three, you know, this happens all the time too. You've got a squad or perhaps a leader and a squad in a half track. They're CE, and they get fired upon. And the squad breaks, but the crew, the inherent CE crew, passes. Or somebody pins, but the other one doesn't. Or somebody, or they both break, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. This has, as you can see, 12 different possibilities. Yeah, this is the one I really need. Of what's happening to who, and then what can you do about it? You know, you know, at the, at the end of the day, can they fire back, or can't they, based on what's occurred? Does the vehicle, are they recalled? If they are recalled, can they drop the passenger off first? Et cetera, et cetera. So, obviously, case one is pretty boring. The passenger passed his, his morale check, and the inherent crew also did. So obviously there's no effect, and they can, you know, they're both fine. Mm-hmm. And then as you go down the chart, you can see somebody gets pinned or somebody gets broken or, mm-hmm. or both pinned. So or again, both I'm not going to go through every single situation, but this does describe most of the major combinations that you might be able to think of. Yeah, and it, it really does. I mean, I really like E here. You know, the armed vehicle, fighting vehicle stunned, the inherent crew, armor leader, and passengers button up. And the vehicle automatically stops because I used to just hate, you know. Well, let's see, they broke. Do they, they have to get out of the vehicle. No, I think they stay in the vehicle. And then, well, what happens to the, you know, what's the difference between a stun and then when's a recall? When's a stun? And yeah, nice job. So again, these are the things you could just say. Hey, I'm in situation five. You know, they both pinned. So now, what can I do? A yeah. and C. You must button up and. Oh, the leader remains crew exposed, but is pinned. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the purpose of that. This must have taken a huge amount of work. Oh, yeah. This was, uh, as I said, I, it took years and years to do. I don't want to just give myself the credit. I worked really hard with uh, a number of players to help me. I want to mention by name, if I may, Robert Banizic, who was one of my good friends who helped me a lot with this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in fact, there's a about a two-and-a-half-page letter that I wrote. I don't know. Again, it's at least ten years ago, kind of briefly describing these, which I sent you, Jeff which you can also post alongside this. Yeah, I'll post those. those as well. And that kind of gives you know people who are really interested a little history of how I made them, why I made them, in addition to what we're talking about you know, verbally today. Right. Okay, table four. Again, now this, I know you guys are going to say this happens a lot because I think it does. Uh, table four, you know, the good old smoke grenade, smoke dispenser, smoke mortar. No, this doesn't happen a lot. You know why? Well, because people forget or they don't want to bother. Yeah, I don't want to bother. Yeah. <laughs> I have an SM. What's that? Uh, forget it. Just move yeah. the tank. Right. <laughs> it should happen. It should happen just, just more than it does. armor piercing or high And this happens all the time. And, you know, you're buttoned up or you're moving or you did move and now you've stopped. Again, all the most common situations. So 
Probably the most important thing I do want to point out on this chart, there's maybe two things. First of all, situation one, when the AFE has moved or is in motion, you notice the smoke mortar has to add plus two. And that's true. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. How, however, yeah, we covered this on our last show, so I did reread Okay, all but these situation rules. two, it's the beginning of the stopped AFE's movement phase prior to expending a start movement point. So what that's telling us is, if you've got a smoke mortar, and usually those are common on American tanks, if you've got that and you're stopped, Use it. throw the smoke first. Yeah. You don't got to pay the penalty of plus two. Then move. And you might be throwing the smoke to protect yourself as the tank, mm -hmm. or you might be throwing the smoke to protect your infantry that's going to advance into a certain spot. That's a key. Uh, furthermore, a lot of times people miss with their uh, smoke dispensers, or maybe they have a vehicle that doesn't have a smoke dispenser. So if you look at situations, well, I guess at the bottom, where it talks about smoke grenades, there's that obscure rule in Chapter F that not everybody knows about. Right. Well, I think they wrote it now in somewhere else in the new version. You're right. I think they did put it somewhere else. But it's yeah, the same it rule in it, right, F where vehicles can use smoke grenades. And if you get a two or less, if you're a CE, uh, open-topped AFE, I think this says, it's two or less. Or if you're buttoned up, like this is a great move for a half-track. You're buttoned up, so you're immune to being fired at for the most part. If you get a one, which is hard to get, but it's still possible, you can throw a smoke grenade off the top of your, you know, I guess out of the top of the half track, I guess is what that simulates. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, that smoke pays off. So this gives you, uh, again, a quick reference of when you want to throw smoke, how you should throw it, and what modifiers apply. You know, I can see three major things that these tables can do, because these are very impressive. I, well, thank I'm you. Really uh, I think that all the current players could become better players because they're more likely to use all of these, yeah, all all right. of these tools that that are built and, in. And that start... somebody spent so much time building into squad leader that people may not take advantage of because they feel like it's too complicated. So, and those right. players are going to be able to um, now there, approach those and, there and are say, people, yeah, and, we can do this. And, and, you know, and I joke saying I never do these things, which isn't true. I, I will do them once in a while. Yeah, but. I guarantee you there's times if it wasn't quite worth it, mm -hmm. I'm certainly not going to bother. If I think I'm going to win without the smoke mortar, then I'm not going to bother. Yeah. Um, whereas with the chart, real quickly, I might start doing it just because it's fun and easy. Um, and think about it. There are people who don't do, and I've played everything. I've played all the desert. I've done every rule and every desert scenario officially published. I did all the naval landings in the, in the you know, and you know how challenging that was. These landing crab, like you were doing Tara with Jeff, and yeah. all those boats coming in and getting shot at by what, and you know, a similar thing. Those, those charts they ended up with were helpful, but there are players who will not do night rules, and there are players who will not do desert, and there are players who will not do even Japanese. Yeah, BTO. Right. So I mean, I think we all have to admit, Squad Leader is a very detailed, intense game. Even the best players would admit that. Yes. And it's mentally draining. Yeah, yeah. It's tiring. And so when you're confronted with flipping through the rules or looking something up in the index, and the rule book itself is physically daunting. And it's 11 at night. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty tempting to throw in the yeah. towel, so to speak. So again, I made these these tables as a, uh, I'll call it a, as an investment, you might say, to save time when you want to save time, which is during the game. Right. Which which and my which was my second point. I think we might get more players to play the full rules if they know uh, they yes. can have some of these sorts of things to read. I mean, great transition from obviously starting. the chart. The charts have a lot of uh, the charts that MMP provides are are very good. But this goes beyond that. This really goes beyond that. 
Well, I didn't try to create any new rules. I just tried to read the rules right. as they mm-hmm. were. Yeah. And try to create tables for situations that occur. Yeah. Very useful. Okay. Excuse me. Uh, table five again. This is something that happens pretty often. You got three different kinds of firepower happening here. You got, you know, machine guns, you know, on a vehicle or a passenger, or you might have a rider, which Mount, is called mounted, mounted fire. fire. Or you might have a vehicular flamethrower, which doesn't happen too often, but the purpose of this chart really shows the power of a vehicular flamethrower when you're when you when you're fortunate to have one of those. Because it's the only one that fires at full. Is that what one is? Indeed, one means you know full firepower. That's what it means. And uh, you know, again, I'm not going to go through every single situation, but it's pretty similar. You know, it's the defensive fire phase. You're in, you're in motion, or it's the beginning of your prep fire phase, and you haven't moved yet, and you're stationary but you want to use bounding fire, that's kind of situation two. And these are just the multiplicative, I guess, fractions, you might say, that are combined that, uh, you know, you have to multiply your firepower by based on the situation at hand. This is why only Rich could have made these charts and not me, because I can't even say the word multiplicative. Yeah. (laughs) You must not be a math teacher. (laughs) No. (laughs) Apparently not. But anyway, again, I think uh, this does show. So, for example, just you know, just to give an example, if you look at situation three, very common situation, the vehicle is now stopped, but it has entered a new hex in this movement phase, and now it's stopped. Okay, so the machine guns or the that it has or the you know CE half track passenger is multiplied by a half. I think that's pretty straightforward. If it was a rider, he'd have to multiply it by one fourth. And if it's a flamethrower, it's 100%. Now, I'm not talking about concealment here. I'm not talking about long-range fire. Right. I'm not talking about advancing fire phase penalties. And, and if you read the specifics at the top of the chart, you will see what I am and what I am not talking about. I'm talking about the basic stuff. If he's concealed, obviously, you'd have to multiply it by half one more time. So, anyway, that's the gist of that one. Now, um, quick question. Is it right that the only... Passengers on AFVs are Russians. Can only Russians the only ones no. allowed to be passengers Up until on... a certain year, and then other all nationalities can. Yeah, I believe the rule says in 1943 the Russians can begin using riders, and uh, 1944 all nationalities can. But Maybe don't hold so. me to that. It's something like that. Yeah. So, okay. I believe that's what it is. All right. Okay, so that's table five. Okay, now we're going to start to get into the. Uh, what I'll call the creme de la creme, or the Woo-hoo. kind of the highlight of uh, the, the charts. Look at this one. These, he must uh, the, be very proud. Very these, proud. Well, I don't know, but I'm I'm glad to share it, and I hope people like it. Do you have any kids? I do have two children. I have uh, two boys. Are they named Table A and Table or Table Six A and Table Six B? That's exactly what I named them because I was so proud. <laughs> yes, I have a Six A son and a Six B. <laughs> no, actually, their names are Eric and Jared. They're in uh, high school and junior high, respectively. Oh, we're shouting out to them because we know them and all their friends are listening. Most, I'm sure that most of the high school and junior high <laughs> students of today do uh, pay close attention to squad leader. Things. I'm sure they do. <laughs> all right, 6A, again, you know, I am proud of 6A. 6A happens all the time. Mm-hmm. 6A is what some people refer to in the vernacular as the vehicle bypass sleaze move, mm-hmm. where you bypass the infantry's hex mm-hmm. and stop them from firing out of the hex. But there's a whole lot more going on, as you can tell just by glancing at the table. Yeah than just that. So, again, I'll spend a few more moments on this particular chart. As the title says, this is what the defending infantry unit can do. 
versus an AFE which enters its hex without declaring an overrun. This entire chart is not about an overrun. This entire chart is they either entered your hex or they bypassed your hex, one or the other, mm-hmm. without declaring an overrun. Okay. What can you do? Okay. And you see I got 12 different cases going down the left-hand side. Of course, we don't have time to go through them all. But you can see, for example, you know, case number one is pretty straightforward. It's an infantry unit at the ground level, you know, so it's not on level one of a building or anything like that. And it's not marked in any way. It doesn't have a first fire marker on it. He's not pinned. He's not concealed. He's just, he's just there, okay? And as you go down through the various cases, there's a full squad with a first fire marker on them. There's a half squad with a first fire marker. There's a squad with a final fire marker on them. Then you got guys at level one or level two with various fire markers on them. You've got guys concealed at ground level, case nine. And then, of course, you got a grunt, a gun. You might have a gun in a woods or something. And they're either unmarked, or they got a first fire marker on them, or they have a final or intensive fire marker on them. So it's just about every single possible thing that could possibly happen when an AFE enters your hex, whether in bypass, without declaring an overrun, and the infantry unit is either marked or not marked or concealed or not concealed or what have you. So this basically says what you're allowed to do based on if the if the AFE is CE or if the AFE is buttoned up or if, uh, you know, what you're not allowed to do, like, for example, you know, the very simple case of case one, where if you look at case, uh, footnote C or item C, you know, it's basically saying you may not fire outside of the hex until the AFE or the crew are eliminated or until the AFE leaves the hex. Mm-hmm. So that's the vehicle bypass sleaze move that a lot of people call it or use pretty regularly. That's true. Item C is true. But it's also telling you, hey, if you've got a bazooka... So, you know, let, let's look at that. Let's say it's case one, and I get bypassed by an AFE of some sort. Okay, case one. Uh, so infantry units unmarked at ground level. Right, and yeah. let's say I've got a bazooka, or let's say I'm a German unit and I have an inherent Panzerfaust, or, you know, any you know something like that. Okay. And you're a closed-top, buttoned-up armor-fighting vehicle. Yes, and it's a closed-top, buttoned-up vehicle, which is very common. This happens pretty regularly. Yeah. Okay, so case B says that you can use an LATW as defensive first fire or subsequent first fire versus the AFE against the target facing determined by D3.2. Okay, and if you read D3.2, it talks about how if you're in bypass, it's an automatic side shot. Okay, makes um, sense. You know, if, if you're actually in the hex... D3.2 talks about how the color die roll being a 1 is, is a rear, yeah. color die roll 3.4 is a side, color die roll 5.6 six. is a front. Right. But if you're in bypass, D3.2 shoots you over to another section of the rules, which talks about how if it's bypass, it's actually a side. So I don't answer everybody's questions here, but at least I give you what your options are and point you to the right rule section. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it were a tank that... Uh, Let's say they, you know, entered my hex, not bypassed, and I have a, say, a bazooka. Mm-hmm. And if the two kill, my two kill of a bazooka, I believe, is 16. So if the armor of this vehicle that's entering my hex is, you know, somewhere like 13, 14, 15, 16, I know that if I hit his front, there's not much I can do, you know, unless I get lucky and get a critical hit. So I'm going to want him to enter my hex and hope that I get a low number on the color die roll. Like a one or two, because so that means I hit his side. rear. Yeah. 
Because if his, if his side armor is only six, then I got a pretty good chance. So that's what this is for. And if he's a CE AFE, of course, that gives you more options because then you can fire at the exposed crew. Mm-hmm. And so and so on and so forth. Then there's a, there's that special footnote that says A open top because if you're at level one or level two and you've got an open top guy coming into your hex, even if he's buttoned up, you can still shoot at the exposed crew even though he chose to be buttoned up. Another thing that's interesting is, uh, let's see here. There's a... Look at, uh, let's see. Oh, there's two case A's. One is for open top, right? That's right. Okay. That's right. I just, I, I, just, I think that's called a superscript. A... Yeah. You know, another thing to notice, look at case five. Very important. Again, it doesn't really leap off the page. I apologize for that. But look at case five. You're at level one or level two, and you haven't fired, and he bypasses your hex. He's a closed-topped. AFE. And in case B applies, again, you can shoot an LATW at him if you want to, if you have one. Or case F, F applies. Look at F. F says that you may fire outside the hex as first fire. That is so important. Oh, he you can. He thinks you're... Oh, at the upper level, yeah. Because you're at level one. Ah. I, I, I actually was in, believe it or not, it was the year 2000... I was actually playing for the championship of the ASL Open against a really good player named Rich Summers. Yep. And he was on the second level of a building. I had a I deliberately made my tank CE because I had this chart at the time. I made him CE because he was CE and if you look across at that case 5, he was at level 2. And you notice how case C does apply if it's a CE AFE. Oh yeah. Because he can shoot at the CE crew. If I would have gone in buttoned up, and Rich Summers knew the rules as well as I did, he knew that he would still be able to fire outside the hex. So I deliberately had to go in CE and take like a 24 plus 2 shot, which I failed. So he had to, the, my crew had to button up because it failed the stun check. And uh, then I wasn't CE anymore, but I tried. But it actually was one of the final, uh, it was the final game of that, of that tournament. So anyway, this is pretty important. So that's table 6A. As I look at some of this stuff as a as a fairly new player, only been playing three years, and I read something the other day that made me feel good. It said that when you want to be in, if you want to be an expert at something, you need 10 years in it. If you want to mm-hmm. learn a programming language, if you want to play an instrument, if you want to become proficient in something, it takes 10 years for it to really sink in and kind of become part of your the way you think. I've only been in it three years, so I don't feel so bad. So in seven years... I'll be a pretty good player. I'll be a... But when I when I look at some of this stuff, I, I think I can't even imagine taking the time to look up some of these rules and, and seeing all the little subtleties that you've laid out here. So one thing is that this just helps me see all the subtleties that there are that I wouldn't have bothered with, and now I can deal with them you know, pretty easily. Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Just, just for fun, just I, I do want to highlight one little subtlety back on chart 6A that we're on. Yeah. If you look at item uh, G, yeah, it talks about um, this is when you enter the uh, infantry unit's location that's concealed, mm-hmm. and it says the infantry must voluntarily lose their concealment, or take a patsy to keep their concealment, and then it says some exceptions. Look at that exception if the unit is in a woods road. So if you're in a woods road, and the AFE enters your location, you can keep your concealment. You don't have to roll to keep it, or it could even be a dummy stack, and you don't have to reveal it if it's in a woods road. That's an exception. And he's on the road. 
well, yeah, he's on the road, and you're in a woods yeah. road hex. Right. So okay. that's kind of an obscure... Uh, it's almost like just two different locations for a moment. So, I mean, I don't mean to kill you to death, but... No, that's great. Uh, it's amazing. But it did that, that is in the rules. It also makes me respect the guys that created Advanced Squad Leader. They really the, did the think amount of work that went into that is yes, that's incredible. a nice point, Jeff. Excellent, yeah. excellent point. That's yeah, the guys amazing. who wrote the rules are uh, to be commended. They really did think of a lot of things. Yeah, just amazing. All right, so that's I, that's six A, six B. I guess is the creme de la creme of of all the tables. I spent, and my colleagues that helped me spend. You know, I mean, you're going to see here in just a second. There's a lot of work that I went into six B, and six B is very similar to six A which is why, you know, call them both six. You know, here the infantry is definitely entering your hex, and he is declaring an overrun on you. Okay, so then you start to get into the rules of, well, what can I do before the overrun so I don't have to endure the overrun, or should I wait until after the overrun in order to gain some advantage, assuming that I survive the overrun attack? Mm -hmm. And this at least it lets the infantry guy know what his options are, if he should wait or perhaps not wait, depending upon, you know, what the situation is. So here, I don't have anything going on at level 1 or level 2, like I had on the previous chart, because obviously you can't get overrun if you're at level 1. Right. You know, that makes sense. And so, but again, I have the infantry unit unmarked. I've got the full squad marked with a first fire marker, etc., etc., etc. You've got the gun situations, and you can have a gun that's pinned or not pinned, and that's why I got the, uh, like, for example, H is when you're not pinned, and J in parentheses is when you're pinned. So two different things mm. happen, whether you're pinned or whether you're not pinned. And so those are elaborated on the chart below. So this is a great situation, again, if you're, say, an American unit, infantry unit, and you've got a bazooka, and you get overrun by a German AFE that has an armor modifier that's, you know, almost impenetrable to the 16-to-kill number of the bazooka, for example... You're probably going to want to wait till after the overrun because then you get an automatic rear shot. So if you look at case uh, C and G is what talks about that. Yeah, case G says the infantry may use non-close combat reaction fire, which is basically the bazooka, mm -hmm. as first fire or subsequent first fire, what have you, versus the rear target facing after the overrun. So if you can wait till after the overrun, you get an automatic rear hit. But... Of course, the disadvantage is you got to wait till after the overrun, which you may not, you know, survive unbroken or what have you. So this kind of stuff happens all the time, where you're getting overrun and you want to know what you can do beforehand or what you need to wait till afterwards to do. And I've tried to account for every single situation you can think of: demolition charges, flamethrowers, uh, close combat reaction fire. You know, guns, whether they're pinned or not pinned, and sometimes, like, guns have to, by, you know, they mandatorily must right. do uh, overrun protection, even though they Protect may not want to. They have to, and that's, of course, a morale check against them when they do that, and this table delineates that. So, again, I don't want to beat it to death and go through every situation, but table 6B is uh, is very, you know, I think useful for overrun situations. Yeah, oh, it's great. Now, there is an actual overrun flowchart now that came out with the official squad leader products. Yes, there is, and if you look at my chart here on 6B and you compare it to the overrun flowchart that's been published by MMP, and I can't remember when they made that available, about... Yeah, pretty recently. Was it eight, eight years ago, or was it less than that? Yeah, so, maybe less. Something but... like that. 
and I have a copy of that, and I think most ASL players do, you'll, you might see that there are some similarities between like the way I organized the before and the after the overrun and some of the footnotes on 6B are quite similar mm -hmm. to the overrun flowchart. And as I was going through my archives, uh, getting myself organized for our visit here today, I did come across, and I brought here with, I know the audience can't see this, but I did bring with me uh, some, I guess I'll call them draft overrun flowchart materials that were made before the, the formal cardboard overrun flowchart was... Yeah, that came out with the game. Yeah, that actually came out. And so I know the your your listeners can't see this, but... I'm holding it up in front of the microphone. Does that help? Uh, it, may. it may. But there is, a, there is a version, I think, that I have here in my possession called version 8.5 that does list uh, myself uh, with a couple of other folks as contributors to creating the overrun flowchart. Oh, excellent. However, uh, on the final version... Uh, my name was removed from the credits. Oh, how not excellent. So, uh, you know, again, I didn't work with the guys directly on creating the overrun flowchart, so I don't want to claim that I did. I did not. Oh, look at that. There's two identical flowcharts, yeah. and one says... One has your name on JR, it. JR, someone else, and Spilky, and then the other one, suddenly you're gone. <laughs> it might have been a typo. <laughs> Maybe you were. That's amazing. Why is, why is that? Tom Rapetti, JR, and then uh, Van Mecklen. Ben Mecklen? No last names, Jeff. Well, they're on the flowcharts, Dave. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and Rich Spilkey, but on the final one, it's Tom Rapetti, Jr., and uh, Perry Cock. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Lost somewhere, Rich. Where'd you, yeah. What happened to Rich? Yeah, I'm not sure. Again, I didn't work with those guys directly on the overrun flowchart. Oh, want so to they were maybe like crediting this chart that but they had I, seen. But huh? I do believe that they probably did uh, at least reference the what I'm calling table 6B in the Spilkey tables to uh, maybe spur on their own uh, thoughts and initiative in creating the overrun flowchart. And perhaps at one point they felt they should give me credit and perhaps they changed their mind towards the end. I'm not sure. I guess so. Well, so they never contacted you about this, that they were going to use your information? Or I remember not? one or two phone calls, and I remember somebody uh, giving me a compliment about that Woods Road rule yeah, that we yeah. just talked about yeah. a moment ago. I remember, uh, like, on a phone call, I perhaps, but I, that was so long ago, I really don't remember the details. Yeah, well. <laughs> but, but there was some controversy about it at the time, as I recall, and there was some back-and-forth correspondence, and I just don't remember all the details. Well, that doesn't seem right. Well, You put a lot of work into that. I did, but I'm sure they put a lot of work into creating the... Well, that is a flowchart, you know, but still. <laughs> I think you should get... You, they should, one and not the other. It's, I think they well. should send you ten or $20,000. <laughs> yeah, at least, at least, yes. I, I would settle for that. Yeah. <laughs> I would settle they for have that. profit in this. We're going to make more than that on our T-shirts, Jeff. Oh, yeah, easily. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I'm going to lose my shirt on We know they have very deep pockets over there. At well, I like the overrun flowchart, but I do like Table 6B better. I don't mean to be biased. But table 6B is really what it's all about, in my opinion, when you're yeah. playing the game. Because yes. it's not that hard to calculate the value of an overrun. That's not terribly difficult. The rules are pr pretty straightforward Yeah, and actually, about that. I, I can do that on my own. <laughs> so yeah, well, the hard part is, I'm the infantry guy, or I'm the gun. Three quarter times half. What can I do? You know, I have a first fire marker on me. You know, do I have to intensive fire? Can I keep yeah. rate of fire? And you can go right to this without yes. having to go through the flow. Of the flow through chart, the whole flow? So yes. Yeah, Okay. So that's uh, table oh. 6B. Interesting. And that's probably the most, uh, the one that took the most work. Table 7 is the last table uh, amongst the, I guess what I'll call the formal tables that I made a number of years ago. 
And again, this one's pretty easy. There's nothing too complicated about this. But again, this happens in almost every game where you want to recover a weapon that got dropped or you want to transfer a weapon from one unit to another. Mm -hmm. And this is telling you in what phase you can do it in. And, you know, like in particular, where this really this tactic really comes into play is like in the advanced phase. You transfer that medium machine gun to the concealed guy. Then you advance the concealed guy forward with the medium, and now he's concealed all of a sudden when the guy that had it before was not concealed. I mean, that's probably the most key thing I, that happens using this table. I just transfer stuff when Dave's in the bathroom. Okay, that's a good strategy. <laughs> I wondered how that was. Yeah. You, and you, you don't even keep it within the same X. No, I kind of move stuff around. Like, <laughs> right across the notice. city. You don't know. You yeah, and I notice. tank rifle appears on the other side of town. I was like, wasn't that over there? Yeah. Well, I, just, this, this, I give uh, you lots of compliments about stuff, and you get all, you know, you get all <laughs> soft about that, and you don't notice. No. Yeah. I, well, I always wondered, but. Um. <laughs> well, this rules table does not address that. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to stop there's doing no, that. There's no secret moves when the guy steps out of the room. Yeah. But again, not a big deal here. I think most of these rules are pretty straightforward. But again, have you ever speaking? I'm sorry, but you know, people that peek under the concealment counters when you're in the bathroom, maybe too. Um, it's like I always tell one guy, uh, I play. I'm going to shoot at anything. <laughs> okay, any, any, you know, I don't care what's under it. I'm shooting at it anyway. I'm coming through here or whatever. And I know it's, I know it's not really smart play because I'm not conserving my firepower the way I could be by counting the concealment counters and keeping track more carefully yeah. and all that. A little tricky stuff, but you know, um, but I had a point and I, I don't have one anymore. <laughs> I forgot. Hold on, I let me look say. under the table. Well, perhaps oh. your point is though, if they chose to, if they chose to deploy units though, then counting concealment counters may not be that helpful because then you don't know how many squads he might have had if he chose to deploy or didn't choose to deploy. No, it wasn't that intelligent. No, yeah. <laughs> I think Charlie took your point and ran upstairs. I was trying, to, I was trying with to save it. you there, Dave. People yeah. who <laughs> had something with people who move the stuff and people peeking under the concealment counters. I don't know. Never yeah. mind. All right. Thanks though, Rich. Okay, so those are the official uh, tables. And then I did submit, as I mentioned, four more tables that I'll briefly cover each. Uh, and they're in Excel format, but I think you converted them to PDF, is that right, Jeff? Yeah, I did. So Okay, so they're on the done. website. But uh, how did you, uh, what made you come up with these four? You had the first eight done. Right, we had now. the first eight. And so I guess, you know, I've been playing in tournaments. I'm not, you know, one of the big gurus that plays in all the tournaments, but I play in a couple a year. And as I'm driving back, sometimes with, uh, with driving partners, you know, when we share a ride, I'll sit in the passenger seat and we'll be talking squad leader and talking about this and talking about that. And then on, on a couple of occasions, these, these rules questions came up. And so then I started to visualize in my head, you know, man, it would be really good to have another table mm -hmm. on that, you know. And I think that you guys will be able to relate to, relate to all of these because these are, again, things that happen quite frequently. Yeah. So, for example, table eight. You got a pillbox. This is all about a pillbox. And there's three ways you can attack a pillbox. The rules are very, very clear about what the pillbox guy can do to shoot at units. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, are we going back now? Um, <laughs> with the concealment counters, have you? I was just gonna ask. <laughs> have you ever, um, while you're playing, like just reached over and lifted up the other guy's concealment counter and looked under it? I've accidentally knocked them over. Oh, I've, I've. Have you not done this, Jeff? You're playing along, and so, somehow I've, I've done this at least like four times. Now it's out of a thousand games, so I guess it's not a bad habit. But, but I've reached over and just <laughs> lifted up the concealment counter like I'm looking under my own. You know how oh, you I look see. under your own, yeah, yeah. and you're, you're kind of peeking like, 
Oh, what do I have under there? And the guy's sitting right at the table with me. I remember when I reached over and went, and I went, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry. I just looked under your concealment counter. I don't know what it, you know, I was thinking. Like, I'm sure it was, it was an accident. I was just wondering if, if other people's brains do that at all, but apparently. Just yours. Not. Okay. Yeah, just yours. I don't know if I've ever done that, but I have knocked him over accidentally. <laughs> That's shameful, Dave. Well, it, it, it's, it's a brain thing. It, it's a brain No, I can, totally un- I can totally understand that, how that could happen. Okay, so back to uh, Table 8. This is all about a pillbox, and the rules are very clear about what a pillbox unit can do to units that are outside the pillbox. It's very clear, and I think, where do I have that? I have that somewhere, I think, towards the bottom. Yeah, the very last point, when you're in the pillbox, the only thing you can do about against guys that are in your own hex is throw a white phosphorus grenade at them, throw a DC, or engage them in close combat, or, in the rare chance of in the enemy movement phase, when they cross one of the two covered art hex sides in the movement phase, you can fire point blank at them. So that's what the pillbox guy can do to people outside of him. Yeah. And obviously if it's in the non-covered arc, he can't do anything. So that's pretty easy. But what can you do against the guy in the pillbox, depending upon where you are? So again, if you look at this table, you'll see I've got every single kind of weapon that you you know could probably think of. Yeah. You're in the covered arc, or you're not in the covered arc, or you're actually in the guy's hex. What can you do? Mm-hmm. And so that's what this table does. Do you have Molotov on here? I don't have a Mal. There you go. That's my first uh-huh. advice. My first helpful advice. I think Mal would probably count in the small arms area down there because uh, Mal is like four firepower, I think, uh, on small arms. That's right. But could have started a fire but I probably should have, or I should something. Have, I should have spelled I it out. I should have had Mal actually listed. I've only played uh, pillboxes in um, Pacific Theater. Are there pillboxes in Europe? Yeah, in the European yeah, games. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think... Did you watch I, war movies, Jeff? Well, Have of you course. ever seen I figured there Saving Private Ryan? Of course, but I haven't actually encountered one, so I just thought, no, are they right. not included in the game? Again, they don't happen that often, but they happen often enough that I thought, hey, a nice little table oh, yeah, remind people. Yeah. You can read why all this we read, in the rules, right. but... Why, why we read the whole section? Yeah. You know, like, for example, one of the big things is, if you look towards the bottom of the table, it talks about white phosphorus normal morale check with a smoke grenade... Mm-hmm. Okay, and I read this rule backwards and forwards and upside down and right it's, side it's up. It's different and than I don't think fire. you can place a white phosphorus grenade from outside the pillbox's hex. You've got to do it from within the same hex, just like this table says, and then you can place it and cause him to take a normal morale check. And then if you read footnote huh, nine, yeah. it describes it a little bit more vividly. You've got non-applicable, non-applicable. No, I could be yeah. wrong. But I but, think I'm right. But again, that's why you were putting them out here. Let let us know, and so Rich would be glad to make sure these are perfect. For sure. And then, or you can fire white phosphorus with a gun, which is described, you know, a little bit above that. So, anyway, that's what this table is, and this was one of the things that popped into my head. Uh, the next chart, second to last one. We're getting towards the end. Actually, third to last one. Table nine. Again, this is um, these things nine. happen all the time. Table nine. Moving on. There's there's this is what I call a three by three table. You've got three different situations. All three of them, you're rolling a two. You're rolling a two in all three situations. You're rolling a two when you needed something less than a two to even get a regular hit. Oh, the snake guys. Yes. Um, so let's say you needed a one to get a hit, which is impossible. Yeah. But you roll a two anyway. Okay, right. that's the first situation. The second situation is you roll a two when you needed to get exactly a two okay. to get a hit. Yeah. And then the third situation is probably the most common where you roll a two... But a something greater than a than a two would have sufficed for a normal hit. Correct. Okay. Then you got the vehicle target type, 
the infantry target type. Oh yeah, and the area target type. And, it's and so this mostly is mostly asking, are they crits? Yes, are they critical hits or aren't they? Yeah. And this tells you what you do next to determine if it's a critical hit or. Again, I don't need to bore folks with every single footnote that's on here, but this is a chart that recently popped into my head because this happens all the time where you need exactly a yes. two or something less than yep. a two. Is this that one when I re-roll the dice and then right. I need a one, two, or three, or is this the other kind? When right. I, and I'm always like, why couldn't they have just one right. kind? And it depends upon if it's area you know, target type, just, infantry target type, always or make vehicle. it a crit, you know? Let's make this game easy. Why can't snakes always just be a crit, you know? Yeah. It's easy. It's that's interesting right. that because be but, if you look at, like, vehicle target type, uh, like case A in the upper left-hand corner, you know, even if you get a two and you needed something, you know, less than a two, like in the advancing fire phase where you got to add just a ton of modifiers and it's impossible to get a hit. If you get a two and then you subsequent do a subsequent die roll and you get a one on that, that's a critical hit. Mm -hmm. And it's in the hole, yeah, by the way. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. <laughs> a two or three, it's a normal hit, unless it's hull down. And then four through six is a miss. So that would break my heart. If I got a two... And then I rolled a, you know, say a four through a six on the on the subsequent die roll, which is a miss. That what a waste of a two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be heartbreaking for me. Yeah. But of course, that's probably what will happen to me now that I put this on paper. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's what this table is. It's is it a critical hit or isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Excellent. That's a great one. Okay. Table ten. And again, you guys might laugh at this table ten. It just seems so maybe mundane, but. I'm telling you, I just had a scenario just the other night at your house, Dave, where I was playing against an opponent, and we used this table three times hmm. in, in its draft form. This is when, this happens all the time, you're moving a vehicle through another vehicle's hex. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. through a wreck. Why right. can't it of be course. the same again? <laughs> Why is it different on the road, right? That's this right. is what this is about. And so what this is talking about is, you can see on the left-hand side, you're a buttoned-up vehicle, or you're a CE fully tracked, or you're a CE half-track all the different vehicle types. You're moving just in plain old ordinary open ground in the first column. In the second column, you're moving along the road, but you're not using the road rate. In the third column, you're moving along the road, and you are using the road, road rate, which is probably the mm -hmm. most common situation. And then, probably the most important chart is where I say other road using the road rate. What I mean by that is, if you look at footnote B, you're moving along a sunken road, an elevated road, a woods road. Paved with gold roads. A paved with gold road could possibly... I didn't put that on there. The but yellow brick road. The yellow. Brick the road. yellow brick road. Yeah. <laughs> the right the road. road. The road less traveled. The wrong road. Yeah. The high road. The road less traveled by. Yeah. That's you a good one. take the low road, yeah. and I'll get to... Scotland. Scotland. Is it Scotland? Scotland. I, had, I had an argument with a guy. I told him it was Ireland. That's oh, no, it's Scotland. I'll get to Ireland before ye. You could say Ireland. Everybody's going to laugh, but... Go Lind before Scotland. ye. I think you're a good singer, Dave. Well, thank you. And that's with my cold hanging on still. So that's what Other Road is. And so what's happening here is I'm basically letting the folks know how much cost it costs to move into the hex and then how much it costs to move out. Okay, I don't get something which isn't unusual. Five for one? Right. Two for one? Right, let me explain what this means. Like, yeah, where, where are you looking, for example, that I can um, just direct The five for one on the upper right corner. Okay, what's happening there is you're a buttoned-up, fully-tracked uh, vehicle. Mm -hmm. You are on what I'm calling the other road. So you're on a road, you're using the road rate, but let's say it's a woods road. Yeah. Okay, so normally it costs one movement factor just to, you know, go through that hex. That's no big deal, because you're buttoned up. You don't get the one half. Correct. All right, but you double, and there's one wreck here, okay? 
So you double the wreck because it's a road, and then you double it again because it's a woods road. Oh. So that little four I have in brackets is trying to communicate the, the penalty for the wreck. Where's so, the four in brackets? See the four in brackets next to the five? It says five, superscript four. Maybe you have an old version. Oh, you have an old version. I'm sorry. Oh, no The new wonder. version okay. that I have posted looks like this. I just oh, did that. Yes. I just did that today. Oh, I, I didn't oh, reprint it today. Yeah, I didn't yes. print out the updated. The four versions. is the additional. The additional because of the wreck. So it's basically one times two times two, which is four. And that's the extra penalty because of the wreck. I just redid that today because I realized it wasn't abundantly clear. Okay. And that's why the total is five. So it really is like five for one. In that case, like five yes. moves instead of one move, which right. you normally would think would be one. That is correct. Okay. Open ground, right? You're paying an extra for the vehicle so that's two instead of one two for one okay i got and, it and, and if you also looked uh, and you know what i did not know it was different on a woods road well i call no. those i collectively call all those things other road yeah. which is footnote b because the rules are similar for them. because they're all similar they all, they're they all restricted double. in some way that's right and it makes sense because yeah. It's difficult, yeah, more difficult to bypass. Off a little or, you know. Another example that's interesting, if you look at the, the footnote I have down there towards the bottom in the other notes section, I talk about, well, what if you have more than one rack or more than one vehicle in the hex? Because that table is just talking about one rack or one vehicle as mm -hmm. your penalty. So I talk about example one and I talk about example two. And again, I don't need to read it to your to your viewers or to your listeners, I should say. They can read it themselves. But I talk about how much it costs when you have perhaps two vehicles that you're entering into that type of a situation and how you can use that number in brackets as the penalty to increase it per wreck. Per wreck, okay. Yes. Because five's my total, but four is the increase per wreck. So I could just, wow, double it. Right, so eight, what that's nine. telling you is it would, it would cost you nine movement points, five plus four if there were two wrecks. Right. Okay. So again, this kind of thing happens all the time. This is not rocket science, but this happens in games all mm, the time. This yeah. is close to rocket yeah. science. Okay, then finally, we've reached the concluding table, and I appreciate your patience. And this is the kind of thing, again, that happens almost every game I play, and I can never figure it out. And I've spent a number of hours over Christmas break here uh, researching this. Yeah. This is when you're talking about residual firepower, and also when you're talking about fire lanes, mm. which are different. And in particular, I've created my own terms here, which are not official, so I, I guess I'll apologize to the aficionados or whatever, but I've created what I'm going to call hard hindrances and soft hindrances. Hard hindrances are like Rex, yeah. Craig, right. Orchard. Craig? Craig, C-R-A-G. Craig, oh, I thought you meant the guy. No, not your friend. Craig, yeah. Okay. C-R-A-G, Craig, not the person. And, of course, soft hindrances are like grain, brush, smoke. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's. Uh, so I'm calling them hard and soft. That's the okay. phrase I'm using, even though that's not official ASL language. And so, if you look at this chart and you look at the fire lane, the fire lanes. If you're talking about soft hindrances, they really have no effect, which I think a lot of the good rules guys know. Yes. But this is kind of just telling you that. Yeah. Although they do cancel FFMO. Okay. Hard hindrances don't affect the firepower of the fire lane, but they do act as dice roll modifiers. So if you're moving through my four firepower fire lane, say, and there's an orchard hindering it beforehand, you will get a plus one on that on that die roll, you know, in addition to any other, you know, mm -hmm. modifiers that might apply. Right. right. 
So I broke this up between the soft hindrances in between the fire and the target, the hard hindrances in between the fire and the target, and then finally items that are in the target location itself. And I got fire lane as a row, and I got regular ordinary residual firepower as a row where I talk about. So there really is no difference between soft and hard hindrances with respect to normal residual firepower, but there is a distinction, strong distinction between them for with the your fire lanes. lanes. Mm -hmm. And so this talks about all that stuff, and I think it makes it a lot easier to understand if you have a situation that arises. What if there is a hindrance in between the firer and the target and in the target location? Okay, then you would look at both. You, you, would, you would add them both together? Yes. Okay. So let's say it's a fire lane. Yes. And let's say it's going through an orchard like we talked about earlier, which is a hard hindrance, and it's a four firepower fire lane, let's say. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get the plus one for the orchard that's in between. And then if you're going into an orchard hex, what does this talk about? Let's see what it says. Fire lane. Hard hindrances in the target location and FFNAN apply to the fire lane residual firepower attack as dice roll modifiers. That's what I'm saying. I, I may be mistaken, but that's how I read the rules. So this would say that you would also get a plus one for the orchard in the hex that you're in. But now I'm questioning that because an orchard, when you're in the hex, in a normal situation, an orchard would not give you no, a plus one. No, would not one. give you any, right. yeah. Right. Okay, so I might have to rethink that one. You might have got me on that one. Again, I just finalized yeah, this. Well, this is a new one. Yeah, this is a new one. So, oh, but Dave, I'm, I'm we're, we're part of the process, Dave. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's kind of exciting. So I'm getting there. Can I get my name on this table now? <laughs> well, we'll have to talk about that. I'll decide if you're worthy. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm not worthy. I just want my name on there. But no, yeah, I, I, I think you? you got me on that one, and perhaps I should edit that one right off the bat. I'll give you a C4 corner cutter if you put mm. my name on the table. <laughs> That's tempting. <laughs> All right, so hey, thank you for listening. That uh, that is quite a that is great list. stuff, amazing stuff. Yeah, amazing. And very very good charts. You know, and all the work you put into it. It must I don't know. It must be kind of hard for me. It would be hard to put this out there and say, hey, everybody, enjoy this. No charge. I'd right. I would want to. <laughs> I would want money, but yes. it's like it's like free software, and I'm I'm always I always look for the free software because I like free. But I always think, how do these guys do it? You know, they, well, they just—it's a labor of love, I guess. I do have good news for you. Okay. Uh, if I ever get the t-shirts done, you do get a free copy. I get a free one. A free t-shirt. Wow. Yeah, Rich, I'm afraid you'll have to pay for yours. Sorry. Well, I would expect it so. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, well, I we should have something for our guests. You know, you are. Well, we you, give them beer. We give true. them beer. Yeah, that's right. You yeah. know, you guys are doing and the then labor of love here with your uh, with your podcasts uh, every month, and you're doing a great job, and you're su supporting the hobby. I, too, want to help the new players learn. I've had to struggle through some of these rules, as we all have. I'm hoping that this makes their learning curve a little less steep. And, you know, the more ASL players we have, the better. That's yeah. how I'm looking at it. Yeah, and I, and I think MMP should actually adapt some of these and color code them and, you know, get them yeah. a little laminated and put them all, arrange them nicely on a big chart for me and put it out in the next game. Well, and it's certainly something we should Hacapale. say. Hacapale. Because Hacapale. When, when people... Uh, Ask us because we get a lot of we have a lot of new list new uh, players listen to the podcast and a lot of old players and a lot of old, um, but the new players will say, "How do I move from starter kits into the full rules?" And we should say first of this all, how. get all of these tables, go through them right. Even before you read the rules, it makes sense to familiarize yourself with the tables because then when you come across those things in rules, you go, oh, you know, okay. it's in a table. Yeah, yeah oh, it makes sense. I have that in a table. Right. In fact, I had had half of these charts. Somewhere, I think I told you, Rich, that you did. Uh, I had a, I have a little binder of 
of stuff other people made that put online. And one guy had a packet of his own uh, condensed rules. And then I went through it in a hotel room one night with my wife's reunion. And, and she had gone to the reunion. She didn't make me go. Thank you, honey, again for that. Um, and I stayed in the apartment, uh, hotel room by myself, rereading through whole sections and writing in anything that I read that wasn't in this little square box mm-hmm. about fire lanes. Or if, if I knew it, I didn't bother writing it in. So anything I found that I saw... So I jot it in with a little pencil, cram it in this little box. And really, that is my guide when I play. I'm like, well, I think, let me look that up real quickly. A snapshot, boom. Oh, yeah, it applies this, not that, boom. And I don't have to, you know. And then in the back of that, I had added in your charts with some other charts that I just realized I had when you came, came and showed me those. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I have not been using these. Well, the rules are not abundantly clear. The They're back, just not. You know? And sometimes, in some cases, it was abundantly clear, and the rules I've listed are just for convenience and for handy, you know, reference purposes. But some of them, frankly, you know, when you try to come up with a comprehensive table that lists every single situation in, in, in every single situation, you know, like in the pillbox rules, for example, yeah. or in the two-hit rules, or uh, even in the little uh, little perhaps error that you might have caught me on here a moment ago, when you try to come up with every single possible situation that could yeah. happen, the rules don't jump off the page and leap off the no. page to, to describe very vividly some i mean sometimes they do but sometimes they don't mm-hmm. so you know again my interpretations and that's why i've called these four draft because i'm really not 100 percent sure yeah. yeah but the other ones you're you're about 99 percent i'm sure pretty on sure that. on those those have been time tested by of, myself and a few other people and there's some very good players have looked at them too I've, I've given them to you know everyone i've encountered so now these uh, are there any other uh people making charts have you encountered any other well, I noticed on the internet um, there's a, a guy named Mark. Maybe we can help with his last oh, name. Oh, Mark Pitcavage. Yeah, Mark Pitcavage. I have yes. noticed. That I, I he, believe that's the way his name is pronounced. Yes, he has a Pitkevich. website. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but he's made available a whole bunch of you know useful little charts and tables and rules references. Yeah. That he has on his website, but I forget the name of the website. So. It's Desperation Morale. Thank you. Yeah, it's okay. a great it's a, site. It's actually, excellent. we should give a shout out to. Yeah, Mark, Mark has done a lot of great work on that website. There, uh, it's a great resource for learning tools and tables and and history on Squad Leader. Yeah, a lot of great even stuff photos of uh, ASL and miniature. Yeah, like I, which I have done, and I yeah. should send in my photos to him, I guess. And yeah, uh, he does a great job on that website. So and, and his tables are his morale. tables are really good. Yeah, and um, but other than him. Have you seen anybody else doing tables? I've seen little bits and pieces here yeah. and there, but I've never seen anyone, you know, go through as many situations as I've attempted to do. And yeah. again, I don't want to offend anyone. Maybe there's someone out there that I'm unaware of. I haven't seen any other that has, either. That's why I'm asking. Other than Marks, so. I've seen guys on like TV shows, like doing business reports with the company. <laughs> income. They have little tables and things. They that's use. different. Oh, yeah. I noticed you don't have any pie charts on here. You know, I'm, I'm no a, I'm pie a square, I'm a square guy. <laughs> yeah no no pie charts yeah i think these could be probably jazzed up with color and 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 some type of uh you know i'm sure the documentation i've used is not perfect well are you going to convert these now your first eight tables you said you no longer have the spreadsheets on them are you going to convert them back to the first eight well you know one eight first aid tables no the first eight. like oh is that like when your leader's wounded yeah exactly there's first aid rules Uh, you know it depends upon the feedback i get on the email 
which I'm going to ask you to post my email address on the chart or on the on your website. Be glad to. Because if I get a lot of interesting and useful feedback on, like I, for example, I've already have, you guys haven't seen this yet, but if you look at this table 6A and 6B that I spent a lot of time on, mm -hmm. I have my own little post-it notes of a yeah. few changes that I myself would like to make just to clarify a couple of things. And so if I get other you know, email advice on any of the charts, I probably will recreate them in Excel and add those clarifying points to make it even more user-friendly. And so I probably will have them all in Excel so that they can be, you know. Or, or if somebody wants to uh, donate some time to you and put them in Excel and email them to you, they could do that. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. Yes, that would be wonderful. Or some other spreadsheet if they're not, you know, you don't have to use Microsoft products. Right, Dave? I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, I but guess, I, yeah, uh, that would be nice if somebody wanted to. That would be incredible if someone was willing to spend, especially on table six A and six B. That would not be an easy task. Yeah, yeah. So, you've seen my table for the podcast, right, Jeff? This is how I keep track of what's been on each episode. That's a beautiful thing. I'd love <laughs> you to scan that. It's this little hand-drawn <laughs> grid. Did we include an interview guest? Yes. yes if so, we did. name of the guest. Hi. Did we do a what's in the box? Check. Stark at three. AP Normandy. We've got to do a what's in the box. Did we sign off? Yes or no? Yeah. So Very I good. have somebody do that for me in Excel. Well, that's amazing stuff, Rich. Really appreciate you. Well, thanks, uh, Jeff. I appreciate it. Providing right. those and for coming in. I hope folks, and again, I really hope folks use them, get value out of them, and send me advice on how to make them better. Yeah. Yeah, I would have to say, these, you know, and beyond being useful, these charts are artistically done. Very artistically done with squares, <laughs> the little squares. Very on top straight of each lines. Other. Very straight lines. Yeah. Yeah, so you guys That's were too fine. kind. Speaking of art. And I guess we were, weren't we? We uh -oh. will continue our that, art oh, analysis. No. Yes. Everyone's, no. Jeff, people have been writing in. When are you going to do the art analysis again? When? Oh, yeah, when? We get a lot. Yeah, CBS Sunday Morning wrote me and said, when are you going to do more art yeah, analysis? Yeah, I've just been deleting those emails so you haven't seen them in the Gmail account, Jeff. Because I didn't want to make you feel bad that you've been ignoring my art interpretation. But let's take a look at Partisan, ladies uh, and gentlemen. It's, uh, it's, uh, okay. First thing we notice is... Well, yeah. wait a minute. The first thing we notice is I didn't throw away the box yet. Oh, he, that's right. We're at Jeff's house, and he has the box. And he has something in the box. Can I look I'm in? I'm proud of myself. Sign? Uh, yeah. He has. Playboy uh, it's a what's in the box. He hasn't punched his counters yet. Shameful. Yeah. Yeah. Shameful. Yeah, well, I'm going to punch them and clip them. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to clip them anymore. You're going to use the, the C4 corner cutter. Ding, ding. The Partisan Box Art. This is by, um, again, <laughs> the artist, was it George Per... per um, oh, no, I forgot his name again. Uh-oh. But he had passed away, and Jeff had commented that he didn't like the box art, and so I thought, well, look, he's got the nice triangle design that you find in a lot of Madonna and child paintings and from the Renaissance, this, this triangle shape. If you go up the berets, and Jeff, you do You're like right. the berets, don't you? I do. Actually, uh, I'm a... I like hats. and uh, What is that symbol on the beret? I used to wear a beret. It is the symbol of the um, French resistance movement from the Maquis de Lafayette. I thought that all... Uh, <laughs> the Maquis? Lafayette. That, aren't they from Star Trek? No. The Maquis? He was the guy that helped George Washington. Oh, the Marquis. Oh, the Marquis. No, yeah. no that's Marquis Mark. That's the guy no. that sings <laughs> with that kid band. That's Mark Wahlberg. Marky, no, Marky Mark is Mark Wahlberg. 
the actor. From the Planet of the Apes remake that was yeah. not as good as the original? He was Marky Mark in uh, Boys to Men or one of those groups. You're way ahead of me. Boys yeah. to Men. Hey, how know. do you separate the boys from the men in the Greek army? I don't know. With a crowbar. With a crowbar. Oh, <laughs> all of our Greek listeners now are laughing. Oh, we're going to edit that no, out. They're we're laughing. sorry. No, they're that's, laughing. that's bad. We're Every not. Greek, I have several we're Greek friends. Bad. They have very good sense of humor. So if you anyway. follow the berets <laughs> up, and it makes a triangle slope up to the top, and mm-hmm. then down from the pistol to the machine gun, yeah. kind of. Except the machine gun kind of ruins it, throws it off a little bit. So maybe if the artist had tilted the machine gun down a little, like he was firing down at the rats or something. Well, you don't want to have a... Too strict a symmetry, do Not too, but, you know, um, so that's kind of a classic art form. Uh, I don't know what this is that they're firing over. There's rocks, and then what's this gray thing? Looks like Which aluminum do... siding. It does. It looks like uh, from a pickup truck the uh, over the back wheel or something. Okay, yeah. maybe it was blown. So we're not real clear on that, so maybe that could have been done You know, I'm impressed that you know so much about art. I didn't realize. Oh, yes, I am an, an official art major from Illinois Wesleyan University. I'm a failed artist. That's why I'm here doing this podcast now. Um, we see the wall with partisan cleverly painted on, right? You like that painterly yeah, style? Yeah, that, actually, that... Isn't there another know, failed artist that had quite a significant effect on World War II? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but we won't mention that. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was Hitler, Jeff. Oh. Right? He was a failed artist? Yeah, if they yeah, let him I'd, in the art school, I, I, yeah, he would have never had... He had a big impact on World War II, as I understand it. Yeah, yes. he did. Um... And these bullet pockmark wall in the background. So it's, but but again, Jeff, I see your criticisms are, of course, that it's. Actually, I like this one. I I like this one better than than some of the other ones. I feel like the perspective is is pretty good, with with everybody. Nobody's, you know, that perspective thing is hard when you've got a layered effect. Some people look like they're farther out in front than they should be. Okay. You know, logic. But I, th- I think yeah. this one lays out pretty well. And I like the way, do you think? I like the way that, that the art is mostly in the lower half. You know, all the figures in the action is in the lower half. But the upper half has the partisan incorporated uh, right across the background there. I like that. Yeah, and that was a clever title. You know, I must admit that. I have never studied this picture quite as closely as I am this <laughs> <Yeah>. evening. <laughs> Because you burn your boxes as kindling, you nasty. Well, I have man. them, but I have the oh, boxes have kind of folded underneath, and I don't look at the look at them anymore. But <laughs> I, I like the uh, what do you call those little gouge marks in the wall behind them, like yeah, the pock marks. Okay, very nice bullet yeah. hole marks. Mm-hmm. And now on the side, they put the artwork too, but they had to edit it down. And you can see it doesn't work as well from the side on the side of your partisan box, ladies and gentlemen, because they've cut off like the third guy. You lose yeah. the triangle effect. Yeah, it's and not it just, good. It doesn't quite work as well, compositionally speaking. So, our next box for the evening is for King and Country. Now, the problem with this box is I forgot to bring my West of Alamein, and so Jeff has for King and Country. Because you know you would not leave with it. That's correct. Because I want to get a copy. Didn't you get one for Christmas from Joe? Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Sure you did. Oh, yeah, 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 I did. Yeah. So now this one's by a different artist, D. Pentla H A, Pentla Hasbro. So you notice Pentla. they put the the symbol, of the company, right over half the guy's last oh, name of the artist. That's now that's terrible, but mm-hmm. you know what you're gonna do? You should. I would have given him a chance to repaint that and move that over to fit. However, you it, think the originals of these are hanging somewhere, like in uh, Kurt Schilling's house or something? You know, that's a the good original question. paintings. That's a great question. Let's ask 
Keith Dalton that question. Yeah, we should ask Keith. They Where should. are these? I, I think somewhere. some folks would want to buy some of them. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know what? I, I actually wouldn't mind having an original there, although yeah. it's not Boris Vallejo. I'm a huge Boris Vallejo fan. Yeah. And we, or Frank we mentioned Frizzetta. Dietz, this guy mm-hmm. Dietz we mentioned on the other show. He was a great artist. Yeah, great. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not a, as big a Vallejo fan as I am a Frazetta. Yeah, Frank I meant Frazetta. Frazetta. is the, the top. Yeah. You know, I think the best picture, if I'm not an art, artistic expert, apparently like our esteemed colleague here, but the very best one is on the squad leader box back in the day, back in the 70s. There's that guy throwing, I think the it's grenade. a German, throwing that, that, that wooden-handled grenade. Yes, yeah. Now that, to me, I'd, I'd pay good money to have that picture. You know, and that's really just a redone photograph. It's the photo imaging. It's kind of like on the rule book cover. I think those are all photographs, and they've just done some kind of weird processing. But that's them. a good picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, now, notice the artists are different here. You can see in the brush stroke style, uh, George is more, um, you can see the differences in the colors better. They're a little better blended in on this new guy, D. Pentala something. But what I really like to notice on For King and Country, it's very dusty. makes me very thirsty. Just It just makes me thirsty just looking at it. But Thirsty. Um, yeah. Very thirsty looking at this with the dust Here, coming out the you. tank. And uh, no, I won't. On the side of the pot, we're trying to make the... The stupid three okay. stages thing work. Yeah, well, it See, I work. broke it last show. You did. But now look at the side of For King and Country. That's how the artist intended his work to appear. Oh, it's act- there's actually more detail. There. Look at this whole more never vehicles there. Oh, there's a better Dave, sense of depth in there. That does look you have opened my eyes. Well, so in this that. case, the oh, side no. looks better than the front. I think the side looks better than the front, right? Right. Look at that. Because well, this vehicle's yeah. off to the side and it's framing the the, the painting. Um, you notice he's got a lighter colored tank than the green vehicle to the left. Yeah. And that highlights the, the tank rolling down the road very well. Nice. Good work. Line of infantry there marching along. All right, that concludes our box art analysis. Always something that I look forward to. And next we have... <laughs> Have you ever had box art analysis before? I, this is the first time I heard it. No, yes. Yeah, we did. One and two. We well, did. I apologize. Yeah. I must not remember that. Yeah. Hmm. I have listened to the podcast. But I'll try to that. make them more memorable next yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone sent to us, and I, uh, shamefully we don't know who sent these to us. Do we? I'll look it up while you're doing it because uh, very, very nice. Um, somebody sent us these instead of it's not on instead the, of cash. It's not no, on the priority on, yeah, mail okay. envelope. But someone made a donation, and I think they intended us to review these products. Um, speaking of Mark Pitkavage or Pickovich, um, Scenario Designer's Guide. And we also have the Scenario Designer's Handbook, ladies and gentlemen, by Michael Dorush, CD. What does CD stand for? I'm not sure. Compact Disc. Let me see. CD. Oh, yeah. Something Doctor. I'll look that up. Command, command. I think he was in the military. I don't know. But anyway, now, both of these, the Scenario Designer's Handbooks and a Scenario Designer's Guide. Now, I, I have read through both products. I'm amazed um, and impressed you got through both of those really pretty quickly. I, you know, I took them to Ohio with me for Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. It's five hours of reading in the car. Well, two hours for my driving shift. Yeah, that's nice. And that really helped. Um, Mark's is not as thick and not illustrated as well. Um, but he has some, some illustrations. And in his preface, Mark says, Instead, I've tried to concentrate on two things. First, I've tried to highlight the many different elements and considerations that go into constructing an ASL scenario, from research of orders to orders of battle to victory conditions. 
Second, I've tried to show you the different ways many other scenario designers have tried to deal with those issues. In other words, to bring you the voice of experience so you won't have to recreate the wheel at every turn. I have reviewed thousands of ASL scenarios in preparations for writing this guide. And I'll bet he has. So that's Mark's intent. Um, going through scenario ideas, theory and practice, some things I highlighted. Two basic approaches to generating potential ASL scenarios. The first, which is the most common, is to base the scenario ideas directly on historical situations. Or a designer may have a special interest in a particular military unit and look for interesting actions that the unit may have fought. Some designers comb through unit and official histories, looking for ideas, and others may be more interested in a specific battle and research accounts of that battle. You know, I think I might have mentioned to you, Dave, I did design one single scenario. And I looked at it, and I was going to ask, was that your only one? That's the only one, but I was, you know, I guess, as you probably have observed just from the show, if from nothing else, you know, I'm more of a, you know, gameplay rules kind of guy, and I'm not quite as, um, I guess, I don't know, skilled at scenario design. Nevertheless, I did read a book one time about a German artillery officer, and he was particularly... Uh, engaged in the Battle of France, and he led an artillery unit at close range against some uh, some French uh, forces. And to make a long story short, I was very inspired by the story. This, uh, this soldier was wounded, this officer was wounded in this uh, action, and I was very moved by it. It was very exciting to me, and I did design a scenario around it, and I created a... Uh, a new, you know, SSR just for this guy. I used a 9 negative 1 armor leader counter, but he's not an armor leader in my scenario. He's an artillery leader, which coincidentally also has AL as its uh, initials. Oh, correct. And so you use this 9 negative 1 armor leader to direct the fire of an artillery piece, which you normally aren't allowed to do. You know, normally leadership doesn't apply to the firing of an artillery piece, but in this SSR, you, you, you may. Right, and that's what makes it unique. And so, you know, I don't want to bore you to death, but I did design one little scenario, which is a French-German scenario, with this artillery leader, and the artillery piece is kind of the central unit that uh, a lot of the action revolves around, and I was inspired by this story. So I understand what Mark's talking about in his book there when he talks about that. And I just recently emailed that to MMP, hoping that they can find a, find a way to fit that into one of their scenario packs. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And I think sometime we will have a, a scenario designer on the show, right, Jeff? We'll be looking for one who's oh, got yeah. stuff published. Right. Uh, someone recommended Schelling? Pete Schelling? Pete Schelling is a great scenario designer. He's got lots of really awesome scenarios. There's another uh, guy here in town that's local. His name is Scott Holtz. He's oh, des he's designed oh, right. many, many scenarios. Oh, Scott, yeah. Yes, I just spoke to him on the phone the other day. He's uh, you know a local guy that might have easy access to get here. I think Pete Schelling lives in, uh, I, I may be wrong, I'm sure, but I think he lives in Michigan or So we have to Ohio. do Skype with Pete. Yeah, but or, Pete, uh, I'm sure Pete would still be willing to do it. Have Scott in or maybe try and do a both at the same show, one on Skype and one live. Oh, yeah, that'd be huh. great. There's an idea. Yeah, yeah, those guys know you know tons of scenario design ideas. Now, Mark's guide continues then with unit histories, where to find information, the official histories, campaign histories, magazines, books, online, other sources, um, orders of battle of the units. He lists here then uh, terrain, I just some pointers he puts in here for all these things, the weather conditions, unusual, unique situations, and that's what you talked about with that leader. Chapter 3 is creating the landscape. Now let's say you want to design a scenario involving the taking of a small town. If you choose, I'm reading from his book, if you choose to represent this scenario on a single half board map, 
you will create a very different scenario than if you used three boards that have a town in the middle. In the former, the attacker will have little room for maneuver, and the scenario will be a tight, intense struggle over a small number of axes. If you include not only the town but the train around it, then the attacker has more approaches and options. Same town, same victory conditions, very different feel. Uh, that was a good point mm -hmm. that he makes in Chapter 3. Talks about overlays. That, that Some people don't like overlays, so be careful in how many you want to use. Some people don't have, I guess, all the overlays. Is that right? Oh, well, sure. Yeah, sure, if you don't have some of the modules that the overlays came in. Yeah. Uh, he talks about creative terrain, if there's something that, you know, requires something more than the ordinary, out of the ordinary. Uh, chapter 4, creating ASL orders of battle. Leadership, uh, I, I highlighted a part from leadership. Consider the terrain as well. If two sides are fighting in terrain littered with stone buildings, they may have a difficult time having an effect on each other without some negative modifier leaders. On the other hand, when you're fighting in open terrain, an 8-neg-1 can be dominating. A 10-neg-3 in such a situation might be the equivalent of a ballistic missile. In addition, leaders are much more important in scenarios where the terrain is difficult to move through because the leaders add to the movement. So um, those are considerations. Yeah, I never points. thought about that good stuff. Points. Yeah. Now you, um, how, how long is this? This one oh, by Mark. Mark's book is shorter. It's, um, and it's also cheaper. I mean, not cheaper in quality. It's a very high-quality book. Nicely made, nice pages. You know, there's nothing going to be beat up here. It doesn't have a, doesn't have a um, price on it. I'm sorry. But it is uh, 30, sorry, six, 70 pages. 70 pages, yeah. And it includes two scenarios that he put in here as examples, which I looked at now. I've kind of forgotten what they were, but... Um, now you're not you you don't have any intention in designing scenarios, but did you get anything out of the book? Why why do you uh, say that, Jeff? Or when would you have time, Dave? <laughs> okay, you are a busy man. Maybe <laughs> yes. when you retire. I have absolutely no intention now. Ironically, as as Rich mentions, I was going to bring in for a book review later on. I'm reading. Oh shoot, Scorched Earth, and I don't even know who it's by. It's the Kursk thing, mm -hmm. yeah, and it's really detailed. And in in it, of course, there's this account of. The Germans had to move through this like ravine, and the Russians had it all, you know, um, entrenched at the end and stuff, and surrounded. Mm -hmm. And again, so since I read these books, I'm reading the the, the, the text of the of the novel. Well, you're probably envisioning uh, exactly. which board you would use, exactly. and how many foxholes you get. Exactly right. I'm like, oh, you could put an overlay in sure. the West of Alamein to make the, you know, and then yeah, what would the you know? I'm thinking scenario design. Right. The but Russians no. have machine guns covering the uh, the. The ravine and perhaps yep. Now the Germans had to go bust through and then go around in one at one point and so on. But you were so saying, well, I'm just thinking. Even if you're not designing a scenario, you found it to be a pretty oh enjoyable read, very enjoyable read, interesting. Oh yeah, read. yeah. sure. Yep, and it oh, you know kind of helps you even think about you know, maybe even how scenarios are played. Yeah, well, you know, Pete Yelling, you mentioned him. He designed that one of my favorite scenarios, which is that Axe of Defiance. Axe of Defiance. I knew that, that was we gonna... that we talked about on our last mm -hmm. uh, time together. And that has this uh, fanatic, If I, I don't want to mess it up, but I think it has a fanatic half-squad. It's like supposed to be the Hitler Youth mm -hmm. in the sewer yep. with a Panzerschreck. Yep. And it just sort of pops out of the sewer. Now you roll randomly for that, right? They appear like a sniper check. You know, I don't remember. Yes, they do. I don't remember. They do. But I know that there's nothing the Russian can do about it other than just have one of their tanks probably 
fried by this fanatic yeah. half squad Hitler Youth Panzerschreck guy. You can get a couple of them actually during the game if it survives. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that just shows you talked about a unique action or a unique situation. I mean, obviously that's unique. Yeah. Yeah. That was a very good one. Um, snipers part here. I've, I've noticed something I highlighted. Snipers can devastate entire stacks. We talked about that. Strip OBs of their leaders. Recall King Tiger tanks. And more, because of this, assigning a sniper activation number is a critical aspect of your scenario design. It's especially important to take size into account. A sniper activation number of five is more critical in a scenario pitting six squads against seven squads than it is in a scenario pitting 20 against 25. Because, you know, breaking the one to the sniper or two yeah. is then devastating. Right. Um, also, he says, however, designers can easily design other types of conditional sniper activation numbers for example in a particular action one side may have taken a significant sniper fire from a certain place like a church steeple an ssr might state therefore that the other side's san is five but immediately drops to three if it loses control of the steeple location isn't that cool that's very cool i never heard of that that's cool i love that because yeah they're always up in the steeple aren't they I, I one of the things that troubles me about the rules with uh, I, I'm slightly off topic, but forgive me, but you've inspired me here with your with your little alteration there. You know when you try to repair your main armament when it's broken, mm-hmm. a one it's repaired, and a six you're recalled, and of course the six recall penalty is very severe. Your tank has to leave the board. Yeah, can't use its machine guns. I yeah, it's gone. And so you know a lot of guys, including me, we sometimes don't even bother trying to repair the darn thing because it just isn't worth the risk. Correct. You know? I've learned to do and, that. And you know, and that's very troubling. And um, you know, I can't, I, I can't help but think, but that was perhaps not the intention of the rules. And so it seems to me, again, if I could change the world and I were king for a day, I would make that rule when you repair your main armament that it could be repaired on a one or a two. And yes, six still breaks oh, it, still records it. So but that would at least, odds. yeah, the odds are a little better. You'd probably be a little more tempted to try to repair it with yeah. a one or a two. Thirty-three percent I mean, chance. It certainly would tempt you. You still might buy. You still might pass, but you still might say, you know what? I got double the chance to repair it anyway. Anyway, I don't mean to get on my soapbox, but that's one no, of the things a, that uh, if I could change the game, I would. I would change that rule. That's a great idea, and it might make a special um, rule too in a, in a scenario SSR. Chapter five, he talks about miscellaneous concerns like balance, special rules. And he says, you know, you can't have too many. Um, time on target. Have you played those, Jeff? Do you know? No. Time on target? I've played a couple. Special scenario rules? Yeah, they're pretty heavy in the special. <laughs> it's like it's like special 15 rules for one scenario. Right. People aren't going to invest that much time, most likely, if you overdo it. Yeah. And they're, and they're great scenarios, though, aren't they? And yeah, the I, ones I played were fun, but I've, they took a lot of effort. I've played through um, two-thirds of them. I got to the last issue or two. And then kind of ran out of time or stopped playing them, but I always mean to go back and finish them. And he wraps up then uh, chapter six play testing, talking about getting people to play it. Uh, an appendix on victory conditions he actually lists here, very helpful. He lists here building control and then like 12 ways to do it. Location, 12 ways to do it. Well, back to you the know, uh, CVP. To the play exit. testing, though, I want to emphasize that as a. Again, I'm not a scenario designer. I'm not. I can't claim to be an expert on that. But as a pretty avid player, I will tell you that I can tell that some scenarios just were not play tested enough, because there's certain scenarios where you can just exploit the heck out of certain things that good play testing would have would have uncovered. Mm. And you know, I think that probably by now, 
I think scenario designers are a little better and play testing is a little bit more thorough, so mm-hmm. it seems. But, you know, with I don't know how many scenarios are out there, a couple thousand. Oh, several, several thousand. Several thousand, okay. I know that there are some that you know, there are certain things that, you know, just weren't play tested enough. Yeah. So it's very important to do that. Um, he's got an SSR compendium of the most commonly played special scenario rules. That's helpful. Through a bunch of different um, scenarios that he's looked at. And Appendix C, scenario design example. And he did, a, is it Java? Japanese? Imperial Japanese Army's last battle. Oh, this is coming back to me now. Yeah, Indonesia. Correct. Turmoil after the Japanese surrender. The British begin moving into the island to accept surrender to the Japanese troops. The Dutch are making plans for regaining control of the colonies. And it is a very fascinating little scenario here where I think the Japanese are fighting with the British you know, to help maintain control after really? they've surrendered. If I remember correctly, oh, no, it's this one, Unlikely Allies. He's got two, Java 2, Java 1, and Java 2. One is the Imperial Japanese Army's last battle. They fought before they surrendered there. And then Unlikely Allies is another scenario he's got here with um, the the British uh, needing the help, I think, of the Japanese or something really unique. Well, that's obscure. So, yeah. You don't hear yeah. about that. Yeah. Very neat. So that's the Scenario Designer's Guide by Mark Pitkovich or Pitkavich. I'm not sure what, mm-hmm. which one it is. And you can get that. Uh, we'll put this link on lulu.com. The uh, it's twenty one dollars and thirty three cents as of this moment, and uh, nice, very nice thing. And by the way, both of these were sent to us, uh, very kindly sent to us by Nelson Asada from uh, Anchorage, Alaska. So All right. Thank you, Nelson, for donating thank those you. books to us. Because I'm going to k- keep the big thick one with the color illustrations, and Jeff gets to keep the scenario designer's guide. Oh, can't we share? Well, yeah, you can borrow my big color <laughs> one if you want. You can actually hold on to both of them, and if I, it, we'll keep them in your library. And if oh. I can just borrow them, as time, it's because Jeff's you know, a minimalist. I'm a, he's I, a minimalist. minimalist. He doesn't like stuff hanging around his house unless yeah, he's going to use it. That's them. right. Well, thanks, Jeff. It's very zen of me. But your house is very organized. I've been to your house, Dave, and you have everything pretty well. That's why set I know up. if I call Dave and say, "Can I borrow it?" It'll be there. Well, that got redone when the basement was um, re-finished. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah tore out our basement and redid it and I got all these sliding plastic trays for all my miniatures junk and so on but yeah thank you thank it's you. better thank than you. the plastic bag theory that's for sure that's right yeah and at least all my squat leader counters now I did the Pelham method of labeling mm-hmm. which looks still really nice yeah it's very nice next book scenario designers handbook by Michael Dorish CD do you know anything about Michael I don't I don't know what the CD stands for either yeah. it's from canadiansoldiers.com I think they sell scenarios on eBay, don't they? Canadian Canuck Productions. Oh, might be the wrong Possibly. Company. Could be two different Canadian companies. This is also, uh, by the way, uh, available on lulu.com. Uh, this one is 216 pages long and is $60. And much one, more expensive, but the, you get the quality. I mean, full-color stuff all over the place. And I put in a few... Post-it notes. One is this book specifically made for ASL or for just scenario designers of all games? I'm sorry, ASL. It's just ASL. Yes. Wow, that's pretty comprehensive. Yeah, both of them. Yeah, it's really. Yeah, look at look at this victory condition. How your um, 
scenario cards are laid out. Chapter 2, research. Again, military organization. Uh, photos of this old map that was used, personal accounts. Um, he does three versions of the map on page 8. He's got a close examination of the map reveals a great variety of historical names. The U.S. Army fought across the north of the map while the British 8th Army fought against many locations across the center and the southern portion. Regal Buto, and he shows how the, here's the Canadians and Italy map from the Queen's printer and the regiment map from McClellan and Stewart. He's got three different maps of one battle that he's showing here. How that translates into a computerized maybe game map. Tons of photos. Well, you talk about work. My rules tables are nothing compared to what these gentlemen have done. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it it's a huge, It's a huge endeavor he's isn't come up it? with there. It's crazy. Look at the sample layout. Multiple colors here. And then he, he's got official Italian histories, and he lists um, all of them. In Greece and Yugoslavia, La Campana di Grisio, Volume 1. La Campana di Grisio, Volume 2, and so on. Eastern Front, Italian official histories. British official histories. Every nationality, I think, Finnish official histories. Finland's four volume Talvisoden Historia, History of Winter War, and so on, you know, that you can find out there for information. Uh, official online sources, he's got listed here. Um, uh, something I put to, to read wartime aerial photographs and maps can be found from official sources as well as enthusiast sites with a little digging. The Aerial Reconnaissance Archives. T-A-R-A, -A, famously went online in 2004. I guess I missed it. Five million archived images being made available digitally by Keele University. You know, that's interesting because in this, the one little scenario that I mentioned earlier that I'm hoping will get published someplace, if someone has mercy upon me, <laughs> uh, I, I really didn't know what picture to use. I think I just oh, yeah. ended up with a generic picture that a friend uh, found for me that really, you know, is not directly related, but... I can't help but wonder if I use one of these more advanced uh, websites where they have some French and or German you know, archives of the Battle of France. I probably could find something with an artillery piece or something that would pertain to the scenario that I'm talking about. I'll bet. Yeah, I'll bet but I really right. didn't know where even to look, so this would be helpful. And here on page 24, he has unofficial products, designations for your scenarios. Uh, Rich, you used RS, right, on your scenario? I might have called that, yes, I probably did, yes. And, of course, we all know, like, APs or action packs. Right, right. Jeff? <laughs> Got all these unofficial. Look at this page. What do you estimate? Well, there's at least uh, 30 in each column, and there's three columns, roughly there's speaking. 40 yeah. or 50 in each column. Okay. We all know SP is Schwerpunkt, but have you heard about JA, Jeffrey T. Allen, MM, March Madness? I've um, I've heard, heard of it vaguely. Somewhere. I have not heard of the first one. WCW, Windy City Wargamers, and so on. Um, chapter 4, he talks about victory conditions. Uh, the ASL rulebook states, concentrate on what the rules do allow, not on what they don't specifically prohibit. Okay, I thought that was good advice. Mm -hmm. Same as spirit applies to victory conditions. On pages 28 and 29, he has a list of all the maps... All the map boards wow, ever wow. made. you got to be kidding. Look at this. Digitally reproduced. So at a glance, you can see 
all the maps you need you have that's incredible and look at this all the overlays, all the overlays. wow that guy really went to town. All the overlays per game when they came out. Look at this. How long has this book been out since 2004? Is that what it said, Jeff? Uh, I would have to look it up. I thought that's what somebody said. But yeah, it could be. Anyway, it's a lot of work. It's a huge amount of work. Huge amount of work. I know that then in this section, he puts out all the army, um, what do you Orders call of these things? Yeah. Oh, and the uh, how the designations are of the different um, exactly they're all Italians. If you're, if you're and a scenario Belgian designer, I can't Polish. see why you wouldn't spend sixty bucks on this. If you're yeah. a scenario designer, yeah. British, a great German, and look at this page eighty-eight and eighty-nine. Look at these pictures and symbols. Boy, that is really amazing. I didn't even know this book existed. I feel bad. I didn't know. Yeah. But I'm not a scenario designer. It's so it's got all the different images for the SS. Oh. Talk about a labor of love. That's yeah, a labor of love yeah. right there. This guy worked hard. What's his name? Michael Dorish. Michael Dorish. Wow. Michael Dorish, CD. And this CD stands for Canadian Forces Decoration. Okay, oh, very the good. The Canadian you. Forces Decoration is awarded to officers and men of the Canadian Forces who have completed 12 years of service. The medal is awarded to all ranks, and they must have a good record of conduct. I want to shake Michael's hand if I ever meet him. Yeah. He did good work. Yeah, great And then work. back in here around page 195, I highlighted this little section. There's a picture of Ernst Barkman's neck in this photo. He was around his neck. He was awarded uh, the Knight's Cross of the Iron Cross for his actions at Barkman's Corner. Mm -hmm. Sound familiar? There's a scenario, yes. Okay. Also the title of the DASL, Scenario 15. Yes. Which just depicts his exploits. Um, when his tank, supported only by a small group of infantry and a 50 millimeter anti-tank gun, took on a sizable force of American armor. The DASL scenario is notable for a sliding scale of necessary victory points weighted against the arrival of air support. The German armor superiority makes balanced games featuring tanks difficult to orchestrate, like the Cross of Iron scenario, SL-14 Paw the Tiger, re-released as ASL scenario F. Scenario designer was obligated to balance quantity versus quality. Hey Dave, I'd like to comment on that. Believe it or not, can I see that for a moment, mm -hmm. please? I didn't know you were going to talk about this. I'm really uh, quite surprised that you did. Uh, I actually have a story on this. I hey, go uh, ahead. I took my family to Normandy oh about three years ago now, perhaps four years ago now. We uh, visited the D-Day site and what have you, and we had a professional tour guide that did a really great job, you know, showing us all the sites and what have you, and we went to the German cemetery, as I recall, where this gentleman is buried, because oh. he uh, eventually was killed, not not in that particular scenario well, that you're referring to, but right. he was killed, I don't remember, but sometime thereafter. And it's really well done. I mean, there's so much I could say. It's, you know, kind of, it's very, you know, kind of a little emotional, you know, when you when you learn the full story of all these things, and the, and the heroism and the, the uh, you know, valiant efforts that these folks made. Including the Germans, even though yes. they were they were the enemy, they still yeah. were, you know, fighting for their country as they saw it. And uh, this gentleman is buried in a pretty ordinary, uh, you know, grave site with an ordinary stone, just like many of the other German soldiers that are there. But what's really, I think, pretty, I don't know what word to use, moving is the word I'll use. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, they have a oak tree planted next to this gentleman, as I recall, if my memory serves me right, and it's to symbol the oak leaves, oak leaves around the Knight's Cross that he was awarded. And I think that's just such a nice, I mean, without 
giving any praise to Nazism or anything like that mm-hmm. that I don't think anyone here is a proponent no. of to at least honor in a symbolic way. And, you know, the average person walking by wouldn't even notice. They'd just think there's a tree. Yeah. But our tour guide explained that that was planted there deliberately to give honor to one of Germany's heroes for his actions. And uh, I saw it with my own eyes, and my family saw it about four years back. Excellent. Wow. Absolutely. Very cool. And then to wrap it up here, we've got, um, he's got all the, look at that, full-color insignia. Mm-hmm. For rank and authority tables and commissioned and appendix ASL scenario card checklist for when you design your scenario cards. And look at lastly, actually, there's a picture of him in the bio at the back. I should have read that, but um, look at that. It's like phases of the moon. You got to be kidding me. By <laughs> during the war years. All the phases of the moon during the war years? Yeah. For all those night scenarios. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that cool? Okay. So you're designing your night scenarios, and you can find out okay, full moon. Even Charlie wants moon. to see that. He look came at down that, to Charlie. Look at, look, that. look at this, Charlie. You know, you're inspiring me to make a table on the night rules now. <laughs> there you go. Oh. oh. I, don't have, I don't have one of those. Something to look forward and now, to. Now, they did a lot of the good ones when they put out. Of course, I think they knew they had to. But So there you go, folks. So these are great books, not just if you're building scenarios but if you're interested in squad leader and the mechanics the mark pitkovich book is great and for even a further uh, detail on all the history behind scenarios and the way that and the war and stuff and uh, the units the michael, and the michael doris book the moon, yeah so many different things in there yeah. great great resources on both of those yep so, go out and buy those they look excellent yeah well, is that about it, Jeff? I think that wraps it up for episode 14. I think we've done a great job. I should shake your hand. You should. But you're still sick, so I, I just won't. went to the bathroom. We'll just wave for each, at each other. That's great. Howdy. <laughs> so, uh, Rich, we want to thank you very much for joining Thanks, us. I'd like Rich. to have you back sometime. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it was really good. Thanks for And thank you for all the work you did in those tables. I'm looking forward to my next game. I'm going to whip those out. And defeat your opponents. And defeat my opponents. As per your New Year's no, resolution. No, I'll probably still lose, but I'll know why. <laughs> Use those Which smoke is, mortars. That's Use really them. important to me. All right. So, well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye, and, everybody. Uh, in the meantime, roll low. Low. And, and may, may the, the dice be with you, but, but not when, when you're playing, playing us. us. Goodbye, everybody.